Welcome to Comadres y Comics. Comadres y Comics is a podcast hosted by three Latina women. We focus on the Latinx presence in the comic industry, with a special focus on strong female characters and creators. Back to episode 19. We are your hosts. I'm Sarah. I'm Jen. And I'm Kristen. What's up? Kristen, oh, we got some awesome cheese middle la semana today, <laughs> this week. Uh, we are going to have awesome creator Sam Humphreys, writer of Green Lanterns and Josie, two of the books that we're going to be reviewing today on episode 19. He will be joining us uh, at the end of this interview. Or, I'm sorry, at the end of this podcast. This <laughs> <laughs> <With> is <his> interview. <laughs> exactly. So keep that under your cap. So, guys, we are reviewing... What are we reviewing today, guys? We're reviewing the second volume of both Jonesy and Green Lanterns. Mm-hmm. Um, those of you who have been listening to Commodity Comics know that we've um, individually reviewed both of the volume ones of both of these books, Jonesy and Green Lanterns. And it's really cool to see kind of the differing um, uh, storytelling techniques and, and ways that Sam Humphreys is able to just kind of have two totally different, different at the different spectrum of storytelling, an all-ages book in Jonesy and then a DC superhero book, Green Lanterns. And uh, so today we're doing both in uh, honor of the fact that he will be here uh, with us today. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, um... Let's start with uh, Green Lanterns, Volume 2. What did you guys think of this story arc so far? I loved it. <laughs> it is, oh my god, it's, um, I, I love Rage Planet, but I honestly, I honestly think the Phantom Lantern, which is the name of Volume 2, is an even better storyline. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's yes. so much, m- it's so much more compelling, mm-hmm. and I love everything about it. Um, and like, the... I learned a lot about the Green Lanterns themselves. Yeah, me too. In yeah. this volume, because uh, out of all the superheroes, I think I know the least about the Green Lanterns. Yeah. Um, uh, and I got a lot of info, and it that in itself is pretty cool. I feel like I can understand like what it is that the Green Lanterns do, how they're chosen, and everything. Mm-hmm. But the story itself, uh, Jessica has come a long way. She really has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm so I'm so proud of her. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the development of her character in this story arc was something that um, was really uh, compelling for me mm-hmm. to read. And what I really liked about uh, her particular development is that her th- the fact that she, we all know she's dealing with anxiety and we all know that she has PTSD based um, from uh, the incident that happened in the woods with her friends mm-hmm. and you know what she had uh, seen happen to them. Um, but what I think a lot of writers do, or at least what I've seen happen uh, in some other stories, is that um, writers might just briefly mention that a character um, has a certain you know uh, problem, whether it's a mental health issue or a physical issue, and then maybe touch upon it for that panel, and then we never hear about it again. Yeah. Exactly. But in this storyline and the development of, of this mm-hmm. arc, um, we see, and I think it, it's more realistic and true oh, yes. to nature of, of anxiety, mm-hmm. that it, it really, it rears its head almost Every single time. You could be in the most perfect moment of your life and it would still be there in the background. Like, you will be, like, happy and everything. And, like, in a scene in this one when she 
realizes that she does have the willpower. Mm -hmm. Like it's still there. She still has to like overcome it, but the feeling of the will of the willpower is still stronger than it. Yeah, it's that was actually a really awesome. That was my yeah. favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, uh, I love that. It was. So Great, and mm -hmm. and that's one of the things I really liked about this is that uh, with her inner monologue, you constantly know the struggle she's yes. going through, yes. mm -hmm. and how you see how she's growing um, into it, and she's actually uh, learning to deal with it, um, mm -hmm. but she still struggles with it, which is uh, mm -hmm. which is really interesting, and you see her progressing as the, as the story goes on, which I really like. Right, because an easy, I think an easy and lazy way to write this character would have just been, hey, you know, she's the Green Lantern now, so everything's better, everything's you know, if the fine. ring, if the ring, you know, chose her, then, you know, she should just um, forget mm -hmm. about all the other stuff, and she should just go with it, mm -hmm. but just like Jen, how you were saying, the anxiety, um, it's, and the way that it is so realistically portrayed mm -hmm. in the book is the anxiety doesn't matter um, what it is that is going on with you that's so wonderful that it's there just kind of t the negative self-talk just over and over again mm -hmm. and seeing her in our dialogue in there and Simon's as well I mean mm -hmm. he has his own demons that he has to yeah, yeah he has definitely. that kind of like that anger issue mm -hmm. I see a lot um, one of the things that I thought was really amazing uh, was um, when the, you you get to see that she has even anxiety even when she's just hanging out with Simon's family. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and one of the most amazing, my most favorite parts in this uh, second volume is the part where she is actually because of her anxiety, she always second questions. She questions everything, mm -hmm. um, including why she's a Green Lantern. But in this, in a certain spot in this book, uh, she questions. Are the rings truly choosing the correct person to be the Green Lantern? Mm -hmm. How do we know they're yeah. right? Just because mm -hmm. they say they are and we accept it. I mean, she went on a whole tangent, and mm -hmm. I was like, yes. <laughs> it's challenging us to question everything, mm -hmm. and in the end, um, she gets her answer. But I'm mm -hmm. just like, this is good shit. Mm -hmm. I I really really um, am enjoying the journey that um, Sam is taking us on in just the the development of Simon and Jessica's Jessica, uh, yeah. partnership because mm -hmm. um, we saw from volume one that it um, you know he didn't want a partner period yeah uh, and then she was just really trying to struggle with even um, accepting that she was worthy of the ring mm -hmm. and um, we come to the second story arc where um, some of that stuff has kind of uh, lessened a little bit, but there are still issues that both of them have. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I like that it, it's, it rings true to me that it, it's slowly evolving, that it's mm -hmm. not just... You know, okay, uh, second story arc, everything's good now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Definitely. And then um, the story, just to get a little bit into the storyline. So in the previous volume, uh, it had ended with one of the guardians mm -hmm. uh, coming to Rami's house. Rami, yes. yes. <laughs> oh, I like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> coming uh, to um, uh, Simon's house, and he's looking for the Green Lantern because he created a ring that didn't that didn't choose the bearer the, the bearer phantom ring yeah the bearer 
any bear, it can anybody could anybody could wear it. Yeah, yeah, anybody could wear it, and it was called the Phantom Ring. Mm-hmm. And so now Simon and Jessica, since they can't get in contact with the bigger league, <laughs> <laughs> I use air quotes, or the bigger league you know, of uh, just Green Lantern. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but one of the things I like yeah. is like how the little kids. Like, yeah, call, call me when the real Green Lantern comes. <laughs> I know <laughs> the little kids are so salty. <laughs> <laughs> They're savage. <laughs> but um. But um, uh, so it's just um, uh, Simon and Jessica, and they're trying to get in contact with um, uh, Hal Jordan or mm-hmm. even Guy Gardner or <laughs> John Stewart, anyone, <laughs> anybody. But they can't. So it's uh, it's just them. Yeah. Um, where is Kyle in all this? Like, uh, off tangent, but I'm just like, <laughs> I just realized like Kyle isn't even mentioned. Well, he was mentioned once. Uh, what you call it when um. Uh, when the main, I guess, well, when one of the antagonists was thinking about it. Yeah. But um, basically, this uh, this guy, his name's Frank. He finds out um, uh, via Voltum, who was the first lantern mm-hmm. ever, that there is a phantom ring, and um, Frank has been wanted, has wanted to be a Green Lantern ever since his life was saved by Hal Jordan, mm-hmm. and so he has, he's determined absolutely determined to be a Green Lantern so of course he falls to the machinations of Baltoom yeah. who tells them there's a phantom ring I can I can lead you to it but you gotta do something for me of yeah. course there's but always a stipulation I mean if he's not only dedicated I mean this guy is obsessed he's obsessed yeah he's yeah. obsessed it's, it's like mm-hmm. crazy obsessed I yeah. mean he says no to love yeah. and he says no to a regular life and he's just you know, just uh, training and mm-hmm. doing his own vigilante work and on the mm-hmm. side. and um, That didn't he, quite work out. <laughs> right, he gets his butt kicked, and during uh, him getting his butt kicked, he's like, it's worth it. You know, like, yeah, I'm yeah. like, you are fucked. <laughs> yeah. You're a really sick guy. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, he... So he falls to the machinations of Waltoom, and he kidnaps Rami, uh, steals the Phantom Ring, and the Phantom Ring has the powers of all seven lanterns. Mm-hmm. So it can it it the downside is that it has none of the restrictions. So he gets easily consumed by it. And um, one of the other things I liked was there was no um, lantern to power the ring. The yeah, power, oh yeah, the ring yeah. is powered Off by their own the, uh, their emotions. The, yeah, their yeah. emotions. So basically, um, the wearer is the battery. Yes, yeah. exactly. And so um, it has the capacity to actually blow the person yeah. up if yeah. they're, they're not careful. Yeah. Um, and there are no filters with the ring, so when they feel an emotion, it really takes over the entirety mm-hmm. of the persona. And now we finally get the answer why they have the dumb battery. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my questions when I first reread Green Lanterns uh, actually for one of our Heidi Ho comic uh, trade paperback discussion groups and I'm like, I, that is so stupid. Like, <laughs> why do you need a dumb battery? <laughs> but now then that, that is actually now you know. That actually is like, it makes sense to me. Yeah, now no. it makes sense. And now the battery is no longer dumb. Yeah. And in in the book itself, you can see that the lan- the the Green Lantern ring wasn't just made. There was trial and error before right. that. Oh, That's absolutely. the whole thing with Voltum. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool because I knew none of this before. Me and me even did. if it was just like, I know Voltum isn't new. He's mm-hmm. been here, and there was like Wrath of the First Lantern or something like mm-hmm. that. That was a while ago. A Green Lantern is the Green Lanterns itself is my most 
least, not least favorite, but I haven't read a lot of it. I like the Green Lanterns themselves. Yeah. <laughs> except for Guy Gardner. Um, <laughs> um, but I just haven't really read a lot about yeah. them. So I'm getting all of this information new, and I think that was really, really cool mm-hmm. of them to, of Sam to include, and just really specifically, like, this is, like, this is what happened. They, the Guardians messed up. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in their mess up, they decided, okay, we're going to do the Green Lanterns first. And we see that Rami was the actual creator for mm-hmm. this. It wasn't just, like, it, the Guardians were like, yes, like, we can do this. But Rami himself was the one who created the Green Lantern rings, mm-hmm. and I think who created the, the other ones. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Which uh-huh. was why he was exiled. Right. For yeah, someone. he was exiled, uh, because they were, they were like, this is your curse, this is your burden now. Either destroy it and come back, or you have to safeguard it until for all eternity. And I was just like, damn, man, that's that's cold. <laughs> yeah, and even though he was so proud of it at the beginning, yeah. um, during the many, many millions and millions and millions of years that have passed, he's realized that it's more of a curse. He's tried to destroy it and was unable to do so. Yeah. yeah. And they explained that too, which was, I thought, really refreshing because you know what's going on. You just aren't just given information and just left... Mm-hmm. Um, kind of to your imagination, they actually let you know that it's indestructible, mm-hmm. which um, you know would be your first thought as a as a reader, like why don't you just destroy it? But mm-hmm. you you know that it's indestructible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this this ring is uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, oh yeah. Once I mean little I mean whatever whatever happens to you, you start feeling like either angry, scared, or whatever, and it just takes over. Yeah. And you get mm-hmm. like a hundred times that emotion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And only that emotion. It's like, yeah. the, it's the ring of the teenage angst years. Oh <laughs> my god. So you only like, you get locked onto one emotion, and that's <laughs> it. And that is, but that is how they, in the end, defeated Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The um, uh, Frank, the, yep. fan, the Phantom uh, Lantern, and it's it. I love everything about this. Book. Yeah, it's so good. Oh yeah, for me, I mean, I'm like, okay, what's gonna happen next? Like, I couldn't stop turning the page. I, mm-hmm. I think I took a little Facebook break, but then I'm like, okay, I want to know what happened. <laughs> like, okay, break over. Let's keep going. Let's, let's yeah. keep going. Yeah. So it turns out I actually had read these in single issues, except for maybe the last two, mm-hmm. um, and so it w- kind of was um, uh, re-cementing what I had already read, but always when reading in trade form, um, I, for me anyway, uh, I think I retain a lot more of the story, mm-hmm. so I was really enjoying, like I said, um, the journey that the both characters were taking, not only in their partnership, but also um, individually mm-hmm. as Green Lanterns. And, of course, at the end of um, this story arc, as is the case in most uh, comic book ongoings, there is a little bit of a cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that cliffhanger was... I know. I, yeah. I, I, had, I actually read the last three pages twice because I'm like, wait a minute, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it was really amazing. And one of the things that I liked was uh, because uh, Jessica dons the ring, the mm-hmm. phantom ring, for, for a, a, a little bit of, of a moment, and um, she is actually, her eyes are open. And the only way I could describe this is, like, when you take acid and then, like, you feel that the whole world is unified. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she, she actually understands um, the question, her questioning herself uh, as mm-hmm. far as always being afraid and always having the anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it pushes her towards uh, uh, being more accepting of her being the Green Lantern. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really an epic moment in this book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, when when she, actually as the reader, the way that that those panels read, I myself was not sure what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, me too. And it's, it kind of it grabs you visually, and uh-huh. then you're just like, "What's happening?" Yeah. Uh-huh. So I, I definitely give props to Sam um, for that kind of like aha moment for, yeah. for Jessica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I going on to Simon himself. His relationship with his mom mm-hmm. is oh so... Oh, my God, yes. Uh, I've been there, my yeah. guy. I've been there. <laughs> like, uh, I know. It's, it's it's always such a touchy subject. And even, like, I love the fact that you can be a superhero and sometimes your parents will yep. be like, Really? Yeah. That's what you're going to do with your life? <laughs> <laughs> that was also some of my favorite stuff there. And, and as I was reading it, I'm like, dude, I feel you because I've been there, too. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. she scares me. But because there's a moment where Jessica's like, why don't you just do your own thing? Yeah, and yeah. she's like, you don't understand. She's my hero. Yeah, yeah like, I'm scared of her, and she's my hero. It's she's like, my hero. She's gonna be salty, but she still loves me. Like, yeah, yeah. it's weird. It it's was a, it was, it was uh, like, yeah, it was like a rough and tender moment mm-hmm. at the same time. And I was just like, I, I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, because it's just, um. It's the whole question of like, what do, you, what are you gonna do with your life, and like, are you gonna make your parents proud, or and all that, all that stuff. And I was just like, I was, I, I was almost close to tears when I had been reading it, and I was just like, ah, Simon, you just want to do, do you, but you also want to do like the best for the people that raised yeah. you, and sometimes that feel, sometimes it's enough, and sometimes you feel like it isn't. And mm-hmm. I really love that uh, in the story that uh, Sam is creating for Simon that yes we get to see his family but we also get to see the cultural aspects oh, of yeah. them in their food and just in their dress mm-hmm. all that stuff I love that that is all incorporated I'm going to be on the hunt for those cookies Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to I try them like legit Honestly, I love that whole interaction because in the beginning, uh, Jessica, she was right there and she was just like, I'm, I said, she's like, I said I would do this. And she's like, oh, nope, I can't do it. I'm yeah. a garbage person. And like a garbage person, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna leave. And I, I have felt like that exact same sentiment. And all Simon says is like, we're going to have cookies that are better than cookies. And she's just all like, what? Cookies? <laughs> yeah. And it literally, like sometimes, especially with people like with an anxiety or with depression or with something, sometimes it's just the small things that literally yeah. convince us to stay or to stick around yeah it's like it doesn't have to be like anything big or like there's like like you promised or something and just be like we're gonna have cookies or like oh there's gonna be food or pizza later and i'm just like oh i want pizza <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm down. all right i'll stay <laughs> yeah definitely um um uh the artwork here was really really great too and like you said yeah. the paneling with the uh and and they did that that same style panel for whenever they put on the ring, um, mm-hmm. the Phantom Rain. I mm-hmm. thought that was really impressive. Oh, with mm-hmm. all the different seven uh, yeah. emotions. And yeah. yeah, I like that too. Uh, yeah, and it was a kind of a moment where it, there was a, a pause while you're reading that page because you don't know what's going to happen in the second page. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it was a nice, uh, interesting kind of pacing. Yeah, pacing. Pacing. Yes, definitely. I. Green Lanterns was um, one of my favorites when Rebirth started. Mm-hmm. Um, I ha- I definitely I s- 
I'm going to say I read, I started reading every single Rebirth title that came out, and Green Lanterns from the very early beginnings um, mm-hmm. really went to the top for me and was something that um, I really enjoyed reading and um, continued to read until I couldn't keep up with the um, with all the DC Rebirth coming out, uh, most of it coming out twice a month. Mm-hmm. Every other week it just got too much, so I went to reading trades. But... Um, I just love that it is a little bit of a different take on a superhero story. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah definitely. Um, and like I said, the monologue, the, both uh, both Green Lanterns have like an inner monologue that you know you can see inside the person and their personality and how you know they second guess themselves or they're struggling with you know doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Simon struggling with not trying to put on the phantom ring right mm-hmm. um you yeah. know because we you know we all want fame and fortune and we want to yeah. be powerful so for him the struggle was like hey man this is not for you like you're the green lantern yeah mm-hmm. um which i thought was really cool about this yeah, yeah so it, it, and it's that his struggle and jessica's struggle i really like too that they're so completely like at um the separate um points of the spectrum where mm-hmm. Jessica thinks she's not good enough uh, for the ring and Sam, Simon is scared that the ring is not good enough for him, for him that yeah. he, mm-hmm. it's not enough power for him that he mm-hmm. wants yeah. more mm-hmm. and I, I find that those two things and then how that interacts um, in their relationship together and how at the end Simon was able to, I really thought he was going to put it on yeah, I, 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 did I too. thought so too. I thought he was going to put it on. Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought, no, he's just going to put it on and it's going to be a whole new bag of worms. But no, yeah. can of worms. I'm, I'm not sure how can that's Can of worms unspilled. You know, because I think um, I'm more leaning towards Jessica Cruz and more vested in her as a character. But Simon is definitely growing on me. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. And I can relate, especially with his mom's uh, relationship with him and, um, um, and him being... He identifies himself as like the bad seed, like the bad one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, he, you know, he's just uh, he put his family through so much. He says yeah. that's he says so in the book, um, and I can relate to that now. So now it's a little bit of a mm-hmm. self-fulfilling prophecy, I think, too, for him because he was a, he was a troubled youth, mm-hmm. and I I worked with troubled youth um, a lot where they had people telling them so often that they are bad, that they you know that it's their fault that things bad things happen to the families, bad their fault bad things happen to them mm-hmm. and when you hear that so often you start to believe it mm-hmm. and um, then you say well if everyone thinks those things then that might, might might as well be those things mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. you see um, Simon struggling with that mm-hmm. uh, in mm-hmm. this in this book for sure trying to see himself as the hero yeah. both of them do uh, in their own unique ways but uh, they're both start starting to see themselves as the heroes mm-hmm. that they are destined to be yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. awesome yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and i really like how like you see them as you know for lack of a better word they're kind of green as superheroes <laughs> yeah. and, they're, and they're coming into their own I'm and they're uh-huh. <laughs> and they're you know uh, accepting their powers and their responsibility and how to handle specific um um, things like media, for instance, there was an instance where um, they were in front of uh, the Phantom um, Phantom Lantern who had turned green, mm-hmm. and the media was there, the the television oh, media yeah. was there, mm-hmm. and then Batman is like, I know, what <laughs> the heck are you doing? Yeah, he's like, don't argue with a fool. The audience doesn't know he's a fool. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, and I thought that was, good. I am, that gave me the conclusion that um, uh, Batman knew that whatchamacallit that the guy that they were 
after was not a good guy. Mm-hmm. So he believes the Green Lanterns, but yeah. he knows that the media won't because the guy had just saved the kid. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and that also speaks mm-hmm. to what Batman feels about them. Like mm-hmm. he didn't immediately step in. He let them handle it. Maybe oh, he was patrolling the the you know the event uh-huh. in case it got out of control. But he basically let them take care of it. Yeah. Which, although we don't know what's going on and where uh, all the other Green Lanterns are, I feel like that is what they're doing too. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, hopefully we'll find out what's going on. And mm-hmm. I and the two lanterns that came at the end, the two alien lanterns, uh, John um, Stewart and um, uh, the other. They they said his name, yeah. but I can't remember it. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. They said where they were. They didn't say what they were doing, but yeah. they said where they were. So I'm hoping that um, we kind of uh, learn that people are the lanterns. And, and they're also, Simon and Jessica, uh, we can't forget, they're part of the Justice League. They talked about it yeah. in yeah. here. But so there's people around to help. But I think they are all really, it's, it's kind of like the whole, um, you... Um, you learn to sink or swim. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think that maybe, hopefully, we'll find out that that's what's going on here. Yeah. yeah. And as heroes, I'm sure they can't get helicopter parented into it. Yeah. <laughs> they have to like they throw have them to into the pool and see if they swim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on a scale of one, two, three conchas, what do we give uh, Green Lantern? Three conchas and a pandu and a pandu Three conchas and um, a champurrado, definitely for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I second that. I definitely agree. Uh, three conchas and a glass of champurrado. Um, I love Green Lanterns. I highly recommend it. If you are wary, if, if you're an indie reader and you're wary about getting into um, superhero comics, I recommend. I highly recommend Green Lanterns as mm-hmm. um, kind of a gateway into the superhero DC superhero world. Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually like the second book more so than the than the mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt more attuned with the second one. Um, yeah. I, I don't know how to tell the audience that, but um, like if y- uh, you weren't su- completely sucked in on the first one, definitely read the second one. Yeah. That yeah. one will just, it, I, it will cement it in. You, you'll really like it. I, I feel you'll really like it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So, Green Lanterns is not the only Sam Humphreys book that we review, are reviewing this uh, episode. Um, one of my favorite books that we um, have in the All Ages section of Heidi Ho Comics is Joan Z. <laughs> and we've read Joan Z on Volume 1 before. And uh, Joan Z Volume 2 is just more of this awesome little spitfire Latina girl <laughs> who has the ability to make people fall in love. And not just with other people, but also with things and ideas. So imagine if you had that power when you were a teenager, the havoc that you oh could have wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. as, as a good intention as she is, or as, 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 as more of a fit she throws when she does these things, yeah. mm-hmm. um, it always goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so in this volume two, um, we kind of get a little bit of a, um, a, of a insight into more of her um, crush on stuff. <laughs> uh, and uh, stuff is the major. I, I always, when I read this, 
um, in my mind, I just pictured Justin Bieber for some reason. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, when he was oh, in yeah. his prime, when he was like uh, fresh off of YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for me, stuff is more like uh, K-pop. Because oh, okay. he's yeah. so flamboyant uh, in his appearance. Uh, yeah. That's true, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's what I see when K- I see it. A bit, a bit Justin Bieber, a bit K-pop. Yeah. That's what I get the vibe <laughs> of. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Jonesy is in love with stuff and is trying, because the one thing that we uh, didn't share is that her powers cannot work on herself. She cannot make other people fall in love with her. Mm-hmm. So she is devising some plan to get stuff to somehow fall in love with her. So she gets a little bit, um, she gets a little bit creative by making stuff fall in love with the um, with the social media presence of her hometown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then fall in love with her zine. Yes. Yeah. It's all about stuff. It's all about stuff. And so with that, stuff has to meet the creator yes. of the zine, which mm-hmm. is Jonesy herself. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really loved it. I love her relationship with her grandma. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that because I love it too. Yeah. yeah. Her grandma's so cool. She reminds uh-huh. me of like a little, uh, one of the, what's the, um, Devereaux, um, the one from Golden Girls, the one that's, oh, Blanche oh, Devereaux. Blanche Devereaux. <laughs> she sure does. Oh my, my favorite is when she gives her her heartbreaker dress. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, oh my God. So, Jonesy's grandma was apparently a, Heartbreaker when she was in uh, Mexico City, and she had this dress that she wore that she used to break the hearts of all the boys <laughs> <laughs> in Mexico City. But she didn't. She was just like, oh, I, I just wanted to dance. I didn't want them. Yeah. <laughs> Not only that, she also mentions how um, she couldn't really settle down because she had dreams and and, yes. and other mm-hmm. things she wanted to accomplish before settling down. Yes, mm-hmm. and honestly. That is a theme throughout this book. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, I read Jonesy, this story arc, also in singles. And um, towards the end of the book, we meet Jonesy's mom, and we we learn um, uh, all about why Jonesy's mom is not in the picture now and what she um, is doing and where she was and why she left. Um, And we'll get into that a little bit more. But the theme of women um, being independent and having goals of their own that are independent of men, um, Mm. I think was just, I love it. I cannot Mm. say enough how much we need those kinds of stories to be told for young girls to read. Mm-hmm. And definitely, and what I really liked about it is that when Josie's mom, she's like, so, like, I had bigger dreams, I decided to come to the U.S., and I really love that because that was a lot of, like, what my mom did. She mm-hmm. she said she wasn't happy with staying in Guatemala, and mm-hmm. she was just all like, no, I got bigger things to do. I was, like... She she wanted to do more. She didn't want to be stuck in one place. And so she came to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I really resonated with that because it's something that my mom has always told me. And I love seeing reflected in Jonesy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we see Jonesy in the beginning. I mean, Jonesy's a teenager. At the end of the day, she's a teenager. And she mm-hmm. falls victim to uh, yeah. to teenage things um and in this case her things is stuff yeah <laughs> her uh, stuff yeah. yeah and um 
And so we do see uh, Jonesy in the beginning of the book kind of just um, ignoring her friends and breaking plans and breaking promises Mm -hmm. so that she can go spend time with stuff. Mm -hmm. And who hasn't had a friend or been the friend who's done that (laughs) uh, in the past? And I think that um, seeing that portrayed in here, definitely realistic to, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, a young teenage girl's uh, life, but also the way that Sam writes how she um, how she realizes that her friends are important and that you know and we see her kind of do her own little uh, individual uh, character development where she realizes and the thing that I loved is uh, when what was it that stuff told her that she's just like what did you say to me and you can <laughs> see that she gets so angry, angry that yeah. he dared he says Let's be real, Jonesy. It's not like there's a million, not a million fans out there who would die to do this, and I wouldn't even have to beg. So get in the costume. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to make her do something that she doesn't want to do, and she's trying to share with him her ideas. She has really great ideas for this mm-hmm. space opera that he wants to put on. And when he tells her that, you see the look on her face, and she just says, what did you say? Mm-hmm. And she repeats it, what did you say? And she gets so angry. And I love that the way that she's written is that yeah she was you know quote unquote in love with him and stuff but at the end of the day she is her own person mm-hmm. and she was not going to let anyone tell her what she could and couldn't do yeah. and the famous uh, the famous Wonder Woman line what I do is not up to you yeah um, I also like the fact that whenever she had like um, she sought for advice she always went to her grandmother mm-hmm. and her grandmother would say I Miha, you know, why are you all into this boy? Yeah. Like, he, he, yeah. Has, a, he has a cute butt, but it's, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really worth it. She's like, but if you're going to go down this path, you know, here's my dress. Yeah. yeah. But she kept telling her, like, I keep telling you, it's yes. not about the boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, even, it, it's not something that's, it's sort of like covertly in the story, so it doesn't feel like it's snagging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say, I love that she's not mincing words telling her, look, you're kind of being a little bit silly is why are you putting so much effort into this boy mm-hmm. but she's also not telling her what to do mm-hmm. she's letting jonesy make her own mistakes mm-hmm. yeah exactly mm-hmm. and that's the best way to learn honestly like mm-hmm. you, the whole like a kid won't know that the stove is hot until he actually touches the stove <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes pretty much so we see a little bit of a resolution with uh jonesy and her crush on stuff and mm-hmm. her realizing that she was being a little bit of a um a bad friend and um she you know what i i realized um farid is a name is one of jonesy's friends and it was also um the son's name in green lantern oh, oh that's right <laughs> <laughs> That's a good catch. Oh my god! Uh, Head Farid is actually that Farid, and later he's going to be best uh, friends with the Jonesy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is. Um, that that's kind of uh, and I love that you can tell that Farid is has such a big crush on Jonesy, Aww. and she's she's yeah. kind of oblivious to it, I think, a little mm-hmm. bit. But y- the way that Sam wrote um, both of them, um, the same words that Jonesy was telli- saying to stuff mm-hmm. in her, like, lovey-dovey heart eyes are the same things that Farid was saying to Jonesy because he was feeling those same things. <laughs> but we see a little bit of a resolution there, and then we get um, to the part of the story where Jonesy's mom comes back into uh, the picture, and we learn all about um, the fact that Jonesy's mom had 
decided that her mom and her dad uh, just didn't work out. They got married young, and they became different people. Um, and that's how she kind of inter- uh, she explained it to Jonesy. And she wanted to become a lawyer, and so she moved to the city, and she got an apartment and lived with, you know, five other people and just had a student life. And um, I think that Jonesy up until the point where her mom was explaining to her really didn't know because she was so young what was going on all she knew was that her mom was gone mm-hmm. and the way that that kind of I love the fact that they were in mall jail yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were in mall jail when, all, when this touching moment goes down and yeah. I love it how uh, Nisha the girl's like I don't want to go to mall jail <laughs> <laughs> she just kept saying that her and Susan kept saying that over and over again and so, um, I and I love those two and their relationship. We saw it um, come together in mm-hmm. um, issue or in volume one. But the fact that you know they're still together and they're so cute together. They're adorable. Yeah. I yeah. love them. Yeah. So, um, I'm glad. I, I really like the portrayal of uh, how Josie is just so angry at her mom. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. She even goes as far as to creating a story that she's a natural monster. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and her friends believe her. Yeah, and they're so scared to meet her. Yeah. Uh-huh. They actually are just there to be with Jonesy and they don't want to meet the mom right uh-huh. but then they hang out and they find out she's really cool and, and you you find out that it's just she's having a grudge because like you said all she knew was that she was gone yeah uh-huh. like she abandoned us uh-huh. uh, but then she goes on and she tells her no like I had bigger dreams but these dreams were for us they yeah. were for you yeah uh-huh. you know because we we can do so much more now I have an apartment uh-huh. and you can come down and visit me there's a room for you like I want you to see this as your home as well. I couldn't bring you before because I had five roommates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But now I can. So um, I thought that was very touching. That A um, very real moment. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. there's going to be mm-hmm. a parent who, if they separate, is going to be gone. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, most likely the child will be feel yeah. like um, they're abandoned or mm-hmm. they walked of away course. of the relationship. Yeah. So. So, again, the strong, independent female having dreams, going off and following them, mm-hmm. um, is a theme that we see, again, readdressed with Jonesy's mom. And um, we see Jonesy kind of coming to a aha moment that, you know, this my, she, my mom did this for me. Mm-hmm. So, I just loved the entire story arc of uh, the mom and the relationship with the mom. I love the story arc of uh, Jonesy kind of having her aha moment with stuff and, and uh, going back to hanging out with her friends. And I just cannot, again, I cannot recommend this book enough to all of the people who come into the shop looking for an all-ages book. Mm-hmm. Um, and even people who aren't. <laughs> and they want, they want something fun and um, kind of uplifting. And mm-hmm. uh, and the story, uh, I'm sorry, the, um, the, art. the artwork the art is, is like, amazing. yes, you cannot love it. deny. And oh my gosh, the um, this here, the Natasha Bustos, Oh yeah. yeah, the Natasha Bustos um, pinup that is in the back of the book is just—it's more in the style of like uh, not so much of a cartoonish Jonesy, Almost but like a Archie. The well, the current Archie. Yeah, style. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, what does she, she's um, Natasha is um, uh, 
Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, you can see it. Yeah, you can. Oh, you can yeah, see you can definitely there. see it. Yeah, but uh, I love these different um, guest uh, artist yeah. uh, covers in the back. And I, I want to hunt down that Natasha Bustos. Uh, <laughs> it's an issue five second print cover. Nice. So... Uh, anything you guys want to add about uh, Jonesy Volume 2? No, I'm definitely really a big fan of the art style. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like that. It's really colorful in the way it comes out and how it actually um, highlights the story itself. I really, really enjoy um, mm-hmm. So th- I'm a big fan. This is this is good stuff, and it also leaves you on a cliffhanger. Just so you guys know. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. It's great. I love it when she gets angry. That's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I love it when they're feeling emotion. It's just yeah. their face just kind of wrinkles yeah. in a sort of mm-hmm. way. I love it. So it looks like we might be we might have been introduced to Jonesy's nemesis at the end of volume two. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's definitely a cliffhanger, and I'm looking forward to finding more about. Uh, this uh, this ominous stranger. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I definitely give Jonesy Volume Two again uh, three conchas, a campechaporado, and a, a little cochinita. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. The entire um, uh, panaderia entire. I said uh, entire. <laughs> <laughs> that slipped out. I was trying to say something else, but then it came out. <laughs> I'm not trying to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I give it the entire panaderia and um, um, all the champurrado. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. I, I, uh, as well. I give it la panaderia y el champurrado as well with the three. Do it the three. <laughs> oh my God, that's <laughs> las tres conchas. <laughs> Awesome, yes, pick up both these books, uh, and volume three of both Green Lanterns and Jonesy will be out, uh, both of them, in September. Hey. What is on my radar, guys? So for me, on my radar, um, I feel like I have been seeing so many horror uh, comic books coming out uh, recently, and I love horror comics. And um, on my radar... This week is The Unsound. It's a Colin book, a Colin Bunn book um, that is just so creepy and, like, I love, um, I, I just love the art. The art is by Jack Cole, um, but the book itself um, is described, uh, Ashley is a first, uh, it's her first day as, an, at an, as a nurse at Weirmont Psychiatric Hospital. Ooh. Now, just right there, and I'm already freaked out. <laughs> um, and it turns into a nightmare as a bloody riot sends her fleeing into the bowels of the hospital. Ooh. Her descent takes her to a hellish world populated by lunatics and monsters, cloaked in a secret history of black magic and heinous scientific experiments. So I don't know if any of uh, listeners or either you, uh, Jen and Sarah, had seen the American Horror Story. Yeah. Where it was in the psychiatric hospital. The uh, American Horror Story Asylum. Oh, my goodness. That was the creepiest shit. And Mm -hmm. I just, and the thing is, is that that stuff really happened. I mean, not the supernatural stuff, but but all those psychiatric experiments and the way that they treated. The maltreatment and everything. That's a real part of history. Mm -hmm. And that's what always 
freaks yes, me out me about those too. Me too. So that right there, the setting of this comic book already hooked me. But mm-hmm. Colin Bunn as a horror writer, to me, um, that is where his strength is. And um, it's on issue three right now, and I am loving it. It's getting weirder and creepier um, as the issues go by. So definitely on my radar, and I recommend that you check it out. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely. Keeping up with the horror theme, mm-hmm. this book just came out this week. Um, uh, well, last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is called Redlands. It is um, uh, by Jordi Belair and Vanessa Del Rey. And it is published by Image. So it's a brand new horror book from the minds of Eisner Award winner Jordi Belair and critically acclaimed artist Vanessa Del Rey from Zero, Scarlet Witch, and Constantine. Brings you to the sleepy, sunny town of Redlands, Florida. The police are failing to maintain control of their old-fashioned town and a coven of killer witches plan to take everything from them this summer. Hide your Bibles. Ooh. Ooh. Um, (laughs) I actually read issue one and it was good. Yeah, issue one. I absolutely love it. And I just, I love Jordi Belair's um, uh, colors. She mm. is such an amazing color, um, uh, color artist. She's done um, uh, All Star Batman. She's done. Oh, okay. uh, she's done a lot of um, uh, other titles, but this is co-created by her and by um, uh, and by um, uh, Vanessa Del Rey. So okay. It's um. It's. I can't wait. I'm super excited for it, especially because uh, I know Jordi Belair um, and Vanessa Del Rey have on Twitter. They post a lot of their works. And a lot of it has to do with, like, witches and covens. It has yeah. a very... The yesterday, well, yesterday. I mean, last episode when I had said by chance or by providence, mm-hmm. um, uh, it has that kind of vibe to it, that kind of creepy, witchy yeah. vibe that I absolutely love. It's really good. I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, only issue number one has come out. Issue number two comes out in about two weeks. Yeah, and... Uh, Multicultural Coven of Witches. That's all you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, on my radar, um, I it's the profe- it's uh, Professor Mor- Marston and the Wonder Woman. It's a biopic that's going to be coming oh, out yeah, in yeah. 2017. Not any news on what date or month, but it's uh, it's kind of the story about the creator of Wonder Woman, mm-hmm, his mm-hmm. wife and his lover, mm-hmm. who they uh, the wife and the lover become uh, uh, lovers after his death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you see kind of like the inspiration of Wonder Woman and where she came from in this biopic. Uh, who knows if it's actually, like, it must be based on true life, I'm thinking. But it's set, like, in the 1930s or so forth. So it's mm-hmm. one of those um, period pieces. So that's on my radar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard, actually, a lot about um, this biopic. And definitely with the um, release of the Wonder Woman movie, a lot of that history and personal life of um, Dr. Marston came to the forefront, and um, it, his life was definitely really interesting. Um, Very interesting. And, <laughs> and uh, the fact that he was polyamorous and that one of his, uh, not his wife, but his his addition, I don't know what the correct, <laughs> uh, his girlfriend uh, term <laughs> is to use, um, but uh, the fact that she was, I believe, the niece of um, one of the forefront uh, uh, women who was uh, started the feminist movement, and that mm-hmm. was a lot of where his talks and meetings with her aunt is where they, where he really got the idea of Wonder Woman, and then he kind of incorporated his uh, kink into it, and there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, well, this movie will uh, is directed and written by Angela Robinson. 
so um, it's a, f uh, a female uh, writer and director. So it's mm -hmm. it's interesting. I'm, I have my um, it's on my radar, so I can't wait to watch it. See what's up with that. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Okay, so. We come to the segment of Juntos y Fuertes. Um, as you may recall, listening to Comadres y Comics, Juntos y Fuertes is a segment where we show love and support for members of marginalized groups within the comic community. Mm -hmm. And on my Juntos y Fuertes uh, radar, <laughs> um, I really want to talk about an organization called Self-Help Graphics and Art. They are a nonprofit organization founded in 1970 that resides in the heart of Los Angeles. They're dedicated to the production, interpretation, and distribution of prints and other art media by Chicano, Chicana, Latino, Latino artists. Um, they are amazing. They really do a lot of community outreach. They provide a lot of community um Uh, programming and one of the things that um, has started to come up because of the time of year it is is their big Dia de los Muertos event that they have. Oh wow! Um, they already have it scheduled. It's November 4th this year, and they just open their doors to the community and offer free events and uh, crafts. You can go in and make a sugar skull. Ooh. You can design a uh, um, a silk screen shirt. I don't know if Ooh. you can design it, but you can make one. Um, there's so many things that you can do there, and they really provide access um, to art and art classes to the community in East Los Angeles. That's so um, definitely, if you haven't heard of them, check them out. Their uh, website is selfhelpgraphics.com. They do have a Facebook page, and they're always, every month, they have different uh, community events. They have classes. Some of the things are free. Most of the things um, um, are, if they do have a cost, are very low cost, and I think they might even have some scholarships that are available. Um, but the fact that they're just out there providing access and um, support for uh, Latinx and Chicano um, creators and people who want to get into art and also just a way to distribute art is just, to me, amazing. So uh, we should actually check them out and see if they have anything comic book related. Maybe we could do some kind of commodity yeah. comics and self-help graphic uh, collaboration. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be cool. so cool. Yeah, I like mm -hmm. that idea. And um, for my part of Juntos y Fuertes, um, every, I'm pretty sure everybody has at least heard of all the horrible things that have happened in Charlottesville. And... Um, a lot of uh, comic book artists have spoken out. A comic book artist cre and creators have spoken out against the violence in Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. And um, in particular, artist Jen St. Orange is selling an awesome bombshells-style uh, Batwoman print to help raise money for the Albemarle Charlottesville NAACP. Oh, okay. So it's, it's it has Batwoman in her um, uh, DC bombshells. Yes, I love <laughs> that. I would love to cosplay as um, bombshell Batwoman. Mm -hmm. That's And oh. it's really it's really cool, and it says uh, stand together, take no quarter. Mm. So it's uh, if anybody wants to help out um, uh, for what has happened and the, the tragedy at um, uh, Charlottesville, um, this is a good way of getting it. You get a cool print from mm -hmm. it, and you get to support the NAACP as they fight for civil rights um, uh, and 
that's it for me. Absolutely. I think that's mm-hmm. awesome. I'm looking at the picture on Jen's phone right now, and it just, it's amazing. I I want one. I'll post it later on our Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> um, as for my Juntos y Fuertes, um, you know, um, I guess we've all come across uh, internet bashing or uh, bullying. Uh, in this instance, there's a fellow podcast um, that um, it, it's in Spanish, and it's called uh, El Tribunal de los Supergüeyes. Mm-hmm. It's a long title, but it's pretty darn cool. <laughs> El Tribunal de los Supergüeyes. Um, they recently incorporated a young lady, Isa, to be part of their podcast, all-male podcast. Uh-huh. Um, they have a great big following in Mexico as well as uh, in the U.S. Um, they're really an amazing podcast. They're on their 200th episode. Wow. Yeah, and... Um, they have a blog. I mean, they're, these guys are real. They're really into their comic book stuff. I mean, they're they're really amazing, and I I love to listen to them. But like I said, they recently incorporated a young girl, uh, a young woman by the name of Isa, mm-hmm. into their podcast, and immediately she started to get backlash. Wow! Oh like God. after the second episode she was in, it was like you cannot be in there. She they were man, uh, not them themselves, because they. They welcomed her Absolutely. in the Absolutely. Uh-huh. But the audience themselves just went and just attacked her. Oh, my gosh. Um, even though she wasn't, like, full forward on the episodes, I mean, she had her opinions, but she wasn't cutting anyone off. And yeah. You know, she, you know, she's a very knowledgeable, knowledgeable young girl. Um, they were just not having it. Wow. wow. And um, she got attacked so bad that she posted on Facebook, this is the first and last time... I'm going to post, I am not into this, this is too much for me, and I'm going to be leaving the podcast. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. So, after she posted that, um, immediately she started to get a lot of support. And, again, there were those trolls who were being unsupportive and actually being really rude and mean. Um, She said she doesn't have very thick skin, and there's something she cannot live with in her life. She doesn't want the negativity, so Mm -hmm. she was um, on her way out. So, um... If you are Spanish-speaking, and, uh, and and if you like comics, um, maybe take a listen to the last two episodes of um, um, El Tribunal de los Supergüeyes. They're on iTunes as well. Um, and, you know, if you like her, support her. Uh, go on their Facebook or go on their blog and just, you know, give her some wor- words of encouragement because I found her to be very pleasant. Yeah. I, I, I like the change they were going into. I like the way they were going into a new uh, face of their uh, podcast because eventually things change. Not everything stays the same. I so. mean, props to those mm-hmm. men who um, saw it fit to include a woman into their podcast. Exactly. I mean... That is 50% of readership of comics is uh, are women. So mm-hmm. I think that uh, it w- it was awesome on their part to to see um, the positivity of what adding a woman would uh, to their podcast would bring. And I feel so horrible. And I feel so horrible to hear this story. And at the same time, I feel so angry that it doesn't shock me. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And Same that was here. one of the things that she did mention because it was a long post, you know. Um, um, I can't go over every single detail, but one of the things is like, you know, being in Mexico and a Mexican woman, 
it it's it's a real struggle right yeah um and you know i deal with this on an everyday basis and for now to deal with it on my social media is just too much for me and uh it's i think towards the end she said you know it really sucks to kind of be born the wrong gender um Mm -hmm. and i i'm like you know what here at comadres comics and i posted on her post i said here at comadres comics we understand how you feel Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. be it walking into a comic book shop or having everything mansplained to us you know um it it sucks and we're with you yeah and and Mm -hmm. we hope you stay because Uh, yeah i actually i guess i missed the first part where you said that they were mexico based so i can understand Mm -hmm. oh yeah how even over how over i can understand it just from a female perspective but a female uh in a male dominated industry in Mexico, I can totally see how that would just be so overwhelming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they they weren't holding any punches. Yeah. Um, I read some of the trolls that were on the feed, and I was just like, mm, my goodness, really? You really had to put your two cents in the yeah. mm-hmm. Like, there was just some really awful stuff. There was this one guy who said, you know, I listen to this podcast because it's an all-male podcast, and it's like having drinks with the fellas. And for you to introduce a woman just, you know, screwed up my dynamic. And she just came to, like, salt the entire podcast. And I'm like, dude, really? Like, really? Uh, you These are the friends you drink with? Maybe he should, like, find new friends and listen to another podcast. Because podcasts are about evolution. They're about mm-hmm. speaking your mind and about, you know, actually changing with the times as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Well, I definitely um, want to give her as much support as we can, and uh, if we can, um, if she's still on social media, if we can um, put any of her social media links up so that people can show their support, that would be great. Absolutely. And I highly recommend the podcast anyway. They're really cool people. Yeah. 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 So that's on my Juntos y Fuertes. Jumpin' Jehoshaphat, today we have the great pleasure of hosting writer and comic creator extraordinaire Sam Humphreys as a guest on Comadres y Comics. You may know Sam as the writer of two of the books we have reviewed here on our podcast, DC's Green Lanterns and Boom Studios' Jonesy. But he's been contributing to the industry, creating unique and compelling stories since 2011, beginning with his breakout self-published hit, Our Love is Real. With Marvel titles under his belt, including Star-Lord, Planet Hulk, and Avengers, he's also written Citizen Jack, an image comic that has uncannily become a crystal ball predicting our current political administration and climate. Sam impressed Commodity Comics with his portrayal of Latina characters Green Lantern, Jessica Cruz, and sassy title character Jonesy. We welcome Sam, a recent newlywed, to our show to discuss all the comic things and explain how one little piñata brought us together. Welcome, Sam, and thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, well, good morning. Good Monday morning. Um, We're really excited to have you as a guest today, and we can't wait uh, to hear all the juicy details of all of your comic successes, but we would like for you to start by telling us a little bit about how you came to heard about Commodity Comics and that famous piñata. Oh, my God, the piñata, yes. Um... (laughs) It was uh, the weekend of the East Los Angeles Comic Convention, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah, correct. Yes. Uh, so people, you guys had the 
Jessica's cruise pinata at your table, or you had uh, around on the floor or something? Yeah, it was yeah, part of our table. Yeah, so people were tweeting me photos of it, and at first I was like, my first reaction was like, I can't believe there's like an East Angeles convention. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was really bummed. I was bummed to miss out. I was like, I failed. Like, I need to be like more up on what's going on. Um, but then the pinata, I just thought was like so cool and so awesome. <clears throat> and of course, I had to like tweet it out and like show it off to everybody. And um, I, I don't know. I just thought it was so cool the way. Cause I love like when people do like you know, like, cut some action figures of Jessica, or they do cosplay of Jessica, but, like, doing the pinata was, like, so cool because it really encapsulated her Mexican-American heritage, and, like, for people who are listening who are not in, like, Southern California, like, pinata is, like, such an art form, like, down here and around here. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's like, an honor or, you know, sometimes a, a dishonor to become, to be made into. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so depending on the depiction. In this case, definitely, like, a huge honor. And, uh, yeah, I was just so flattered that when we made a Dusty Cruz Pinata, and then you guys hit me back and said hi, and I clicked through, and I checked out the podcast, and I was just, like, these guys are awesome. They're kicking ass. So <laughs> thank you for having me on the show. I'm psyched. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And then, of course, you sent me a pinata, a Jessica Cruz pinata of my own. Thank you very much. She is hanging in the office, like, not four feet from me. <laughs> so thank you again for this pinata. She is amazing. I think you're absolutely right that pinata making is an art form, and I really mm-hmm. just have to give all the credit to Sarah. She was just, when she brought that pinata to uh, the East LA Comic Con, both Jen and I were just blown away at just the, yeah, the depiction of it. One, yeah, but. and everybody walking by the table, that was like, it was definitely uh, a big highlight uh, of, <laughs> of the East LA Comic Con, and everybody coming to our table had uh, nothing but uh, amazing things to say about Sarah and her artistry. Heck yeah. Good <laughs> job, Sarah. Oh, like, thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah. It was such a pleasure yeah. to work on, um, you know, a Mexican-American character, especially comic book re- related. I'm um, really big on the comic book thing, so. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I just, I just, I just, like, it's, it's so perfect in so many ways, so well done. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, Comadres Comics was created. Uh, this is again, Sarah. Comadres uh, Comics was created with the goal of highlighting Latinx characters, creators, and fans in order to promote diversity and representation in comics. Do you feel you have um, a responsibility to include diversity in your stories? What do you find more challenging about including diverse characters into your stories? Uh, yeah, I totally. I mean, I do feel. I mean, it's a couple things. One, I do feel a responsibility to uh, make sure that my stories are diverse. One, because uh, the comics field or comic stories uh, have both been so heavily straight, white, and male for so long that, like, I think it's clear that there needs to be a, a, a rebalancing of what we see on the page and behind the page. Uh, but also, like... I mean, it's responsibility, but it's also something that, like, when I'm writing a story that happens to be diverse, it just feels more real and truthful and authentic to me. Um, and so I hope, like, when 
it, you know, that's kind of the goal. Like, it feels true to you, then hopefully it'll feel true to the audience. And to write something that wasn't diverse just wouldn't feel real and true and authentic to me. So I, I it's, it's a responsibility, but it's also, like, just the kind of story that I prefer. Um, it's the kind of story that just feels right for me to do. Um, <clears throat> in terms of, like, challenging, you know, it, it's not challenging to write diverse characters. I think Kelly Sousa, I'm going to, like, mangle something that Kelly Sue says a lot, which is, like, <laughs> you know, you'll have, like, you have these, like, male writers who are, like, I don't understand how to write, like, women characters, but at the same time, they're writing, like, aliens with, like, five heads and shit out there. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take, you know, if, if, especially if you're writing, like, science fiction fans or your superheroes or whatever, it doesn't take that much more uh, imagination to write an, an actual human on Earth with the same kind of, like, concerns that you have, you know, about, like, family or friends or the future ambition or whatever. Uh, if you're already writing like ship that talk and all that kind of stuff, so I think that maybe the the biggest challenge I have is um, well, one you want to make sure that you're doing it right, and you you want to make sure that if you're straying into some sense of territory that you're doing it right in relation to uh, the the characters that you're writing. Um, but also you. Can, I mean, at least for me, being a straight white dude doing this, like, I you know, I always want to check myself and make sure that I'm not trying to write, like, in Jonesy, like, I'm not trying to write um, a story that encapsulates what it's like for, for Latinas in America. Mm-hmm. As, as much as I feel like that's, like, such a great and vital story that needs to be told in comics, I am, like, the last person to be telling that story. So, it's it's sort of like just making sure that I'm not um, stepping over like actual Latinas who are out there trying to tell their story. Uh, that that's a story for somebody else to tell and not for me. As much as I see those elements in the world and think like God, this this needs to be addressed and needs to be said. Like I'm just I'm just not the one to say it. Well, I think you're doing beautifully. I really enjoy Joan oh, <laughs> and um, I, I know the girls here enjoy her too. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. She's super thank cute. You so I much. love her. And I think uh, what you said about just writing stories that that reflect um, what's around in your world and um, that resonate with what's uh, going on and what your experiences are is very close to uh, I think some things that Stan Lee has said in the past when he has experienced pushback from including diversity into his books. Uh, he's just basically saying the com- comics should reflect the real world and if this stuff is going out on in the real world, why shouldn't it be going on in comics? So I, I, that, I think that is... Um, you saying that is uh, definitely um, reflected in the stories that you read and um, with regards to both Green Lanterns and Jonesy, um, when we reviewed both of them, um, even though you're saying that, uh, th- that that wasn't necessarily your main goal, um, both uh, books, the Latina aspect of both Jessica Cruz and um, Jonesy, a lot of the the writing that you did resonated with us on a level of being able to identify with her as a Latina. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, and so um, we really are kind of interested, you kind of touched about uh, on it a little bit uh, in the previous question, but um, what is your process in, in really trying to stay true to a character's culture and ethnicity when you're developing 
it's it's like it's difficult to encapsulate, but it's so important to make sure you're always keeping in the back of your head um, because you there, there's definitely a line um, uh, if, if you don't belong to the culture because you want people of that culture to be able to relate to the character and to be able to like own them and, and to feel some like some pride in them and, and 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 be like man like here's here's like an actual like like this this mexican american character feels mexican american to me you know what i mean like you're not playing it so safe or so down the middle that they just feel like could be any other character from any other culture um mm-hmm. i guess like i mean part of it for me is that i've been in los angeles for almost 20 years yeah, uh-huh. um, yeah. and this is like i mean this is like Mexican territory, you know, like, <laughs> now, but it used to be Mexican, right on right the border yeah. with Mexico, and people from Mexico and Central America and, and uh, Asia and all over the world are just, are just part of the fabric of Los Angeles, and uh, you can't have Los Angeles without people from all over the place, um, and you really can't live here um, and not absorb... Mexican culture unless you're like really got your head stuck up your ass you know what I mean yeah. um, <laughs> and just in the normal course of my life here in Los Angeles I've made uh, so many friends who are Mexican American or first generation Mexican American or from Mexico uh, I've been down in Mexico so I you know I think as a writer any writer like no matter where you are like you just have your eyes and your ears open and you just listen to things that kind of like strike you as compelling, but also uh, true. Like things just that just feel true, even if they aren't your your own personal immediate reality. Um, so <clears throat> I think a, a lot of what I do right, if I do anything right, with Jessica Cruz and Jones, it comes from Los Angeles and the friends I've made here and, and the people I've known here over the years. Um, but then you also really do have to do like the actual um, research, getting up online and, and asking specific questions about you know Mexican American history or, or the experience of Mexican Americans and, and some things that you can never know, no matter how many friends you may have who may have that experience. They're just things that you will never know firsthand, and so you you really have to um, double down on the work and make sure that you're you're doing things right, you're not saying that something that has like dangerous or terrible implications. Um, and then you you have to put some like real thought into it and put your ego aside and be like, God, like even though this scene that I envisioned is really cool, like this is kind of dicey, that's kind of dicey thing to put uh, a Mexican American person through, even on the page. And you gotta be like, you know, the the, the right thing to do is to um, to get rid of the scene, like just just cut it out and go a different direction and figure something else out. You really have to like do the hard work of, of being um, candid and, and honest with just you and the page in front of you. I love that. That's really inspiring. I like that that you say you have to put in the work in order. You know, a lot of us. Uh, I say a lot of us because I do that too where, uh, <laughs> where yeah. you, you sort of like um, you kind of buy a set of pencils and you're like I'm going to be a great artist because I bought the best pencils mm-hmm. but that's not the case right. you yeah. have to do the work so I'm glad yeah. you, you pointed that out 
Is this a call out, Sarah? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. At one point, I wanted to like draw, and I was just like, I'm gonna try and practice, but I never got it around to it. The best I can do is stick figures. <laughs> I just bought a box of colored pencils last night, um, but I'm only getting ready to do color by numbers. <laughs> but You'll get no. there. Baby steps, right? Baby yes, steps. baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> so um, definitely you mentioning um, Los Angeles being a melting pot um, is it, so true. And anybody that mm-hmm. um, lives in L.A. Um, who doesn't appreciate just all the different cultures they have access here to uh, in our in our city, um, I think, is just missing out on so much of what the city has to offer. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, like you're not just you're not just like stupid, but you're actually like harming yourself. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, you're Absolutely. really playing yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. <laughs> if anything, just all the awesome food that you can be oh eating. Oh, my God. Where, I know. Where <laughs> else am I going to get Armenian food? The the Midwest? Like, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. I have um, made my husband promise that he will not make me move anywhere that does not have a Shabu Shabu restaurant. And if Sam, if yes. you've never eaten Shabu Shabu, that's my favorite <laughs> ever. <laughs> I'll tell you. I, I grew up in Minnesota, so, like, I know, like, the Midwest. I grew up, you're not going to believe this, but, like, I grew up, my only Mexican restaurant, do you guys know what a Chi-Chi's is? No. no. Chi-Chi's is, like, Olive Garden, but for Mexican food. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Is it? Wow. That was, like, my only Mexican food, and it was terrible. And, of course, like, the second <laughs> I moved out to Los Angeles, I was, like... <laughs> Chi-chi also means breast in Spanish. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. it's kind of like a slang term. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. my God. It's, it's like, it's, this is Sarah, it's like boobies, chichis. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I know it's also used as like a nickname for yes. some people, yeah. but the, the yeah. yeah, chichis is like slang for boobs. No, I swear. representation but um, the flip side of that is access and like we've talked about the fact that there are so many different cultures um, and uh, Los Angeles so diverse as is uh, the nation Um, Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about um, access to comics the comics that you write the comics that you create Um, what have you done in your career or how do you encourage access to you to your work to marginalized groups God, that's such a great question, and uh, the answer is, like, probably not enough. Like, I probably just don't do enough, and I never really thought about it that way. Like, I thought about um, diversity, like, on the page, and I thought about diversity behind the scenes, but in terms of how to 
actually the access of the comics to marginalized people is something that I've, I've never I, I've thought about but never quite crystallized in that way mm-hmm. um, I think that's such a great question I think it's so important um, especially because we have such as you guys know we have such a crazy like almost abusive relationship with distribution <laughs> oh my god yeah, yeah. <laughs> every yeah. Tuesday Diamond is my Diamond. mortal enemy <laughs> <laughs> yeah you guys know over at Heidi Hill College yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah you guys deal with it every week and uh, you guys know I'm, I'm sure you, you probably had this experience yourselves firsthand just how um, stores can be how unwelcoming stores can be yes. mm. to various marginalized people or not quote you know people who are quote unquote not a typical comics reader mm-hmm. whatever that fucking means mm-hmm. but um, it's tough you know sometimes you feel like it's uh, you know fighting against against that distribution problem in general is just like pushing a rock uphill and you, you push it in, up an inch and it rolls back two feet um, uh, but it's something that I, at least when I, you know, I just try to be welcoming to everybody in comics, mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. on Twitter or it's at a show or a signing or something like that. Like, I, like, whoever comes, like, I don't care who you are, you know, you got love for comics, and I don't even care if you love comics for 20 years or 20 minutes, I don't, I don't care. As long as you're there out of love, like I'm, I'm happy you're there, and I'm happy to see you. But that's a great question. That's a question I'll be thinking about a lot after, after we're done talking. Well, I have to say that we took both Green Lanterns and Jonesy to our table uh, display when we went to the East L.A. Comic-Con, mm-hmm. and we um, told all the people that stopped at our table about um, how each of those books included uh, a Latino character, and yeah. so many of the people who came to East L.A. Comic-Con were not your quote-unquote uh, normal uh, expected comic book reader. In fact, most of them had never even picked up a comic book in their life, but were so yeah. excited and interested in uh, reading a comic book and so freaking um, happy to know that there were comic books out there that had representation of uh, of themselves in them. And so uh, definitely um, we saw what we learned that day was that uh, Latinos are hungry to, uh, to read comics and we were so yeah. excited and happy mm-hmm. to see that. Um, one yeah. of the things I also noticed at uh, East LA Comic Con, this is Sarah, was uh, a lot of families brought their kids and so forth, and some of the kids had already read Jonesy or um, those um, y- uh, for young readers. So that was really yeah. great um, that the schools or some of the teachers may have been comic book fans and are kind of um, passing it on to their students. Yeah. I, you know, Jonesy has been a book that uh, just for whatever reason, has found a lot of support through librarians, mm-hmm. which I fucking love. I'm sorry, can I swear on this <laughs> yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh right, we sorry. swear all the time. Oh, okay, time. Good. I just realized I probably like, said the F-bomb like 12 times. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, I, I love libraries. I love librarians. I love the support we get from libraries. Um, so I just try to like help them out or even just retweet them or whatever. I did a, a talk at the... Um, uh, North Hollywood Library up here, which is like super cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think these these comics they gotta they gotta get out into the community more. You know, uh, they gotta get out more where the people are, not just um, not not just in the same circles that we travel in over and over again. 
Absolutely, yeah. We have, Hari Ho has a really um, strong relationship with our local library, given that it's literally around the corner. And we co-hosted Free Comic Book Day this year, uh, and it was so, so successful. And so I just loved seeing all the new people coming into the shop um, and taking away all those comic books. And um, definitely libraries um, and school librarians are all um, people I think that uh, I think is just right now starting the comic book industry um, may just be starting to recognize and realize that hey this this is a way to uh, to really get more uh, fans into reading comics and I really hope that that continues to grow yeah mm-hmm. amen uh, so this is Jen and we've discussed diversity on the page but diversity and representation of creators is also important in your opinion how could the comic book industry facilitate the growth of members of marginalized groups as writers and artists <laughs> what is your advice for these groups to enter the industry uh, I, uh, this is another awesome question because I, I try to say as much as possible that like comic books are not truly diverse until they have diversity on the page and behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. You have to have both. Um, you can't just have people like me, like say white dudes writing Mexican Americans and think you have true diversity. Like you also need Mexican Americans and all sorts of other marginalized people actually telling stories as well. Um, and and speaking from, from their point of view, uh, and speaking from you know, their experience and studies have shown uh, in other industries in <coughs> television and movies that even on just like the most crass, mercenary, capitalistic level that when you have shows that have diversity in the writing room, that you have shows that are on the whole, on average, more successful. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the comic book industry needs to pay attention to that because they're really like making money. But <laughs> <Right>. you know, <laughs> You also you, know, you you do need people from all sorts of groups, all sorts of walks of life, being able to tell their truth from their perspective, um, and not filtered through uh, people like me, uh, who can do you know I, I can do a pretty good job with a Jones or whatever, but it's not the same as uh, an actual Latina person telling their experience. Um, so I you know I think the industry does need to take very tangible um, steps towards welcoming marginalized creators because mm-hmm. for so long those marginalized creators have not been welcomed mm-hmm. um, or, or at the very least it is clear that they have not felt welcome which is basically the same thing mm-hmm. um, so I, I think there has been <coughs> some confusion on the industry side because it has you know, some publishers will, will feel like, hey, please, we welcome all sorts of diverse creators now. And then, and then they kind of, you know, the next day they're like, well, we said we welcome diverse creators, but where are they? Mm-hmm. And I, I think sometimes there's a lack of understanding that, yes, yesterday you said that these creators are welcome, but for weeks, months, years in the past, they have felt unwelcome. And they have felt unwelcome not because you are a, a person, you know, marching the street with a swastika, but because you have done small things, maybe imperceptible things that have made marginalized creators feel unwelcome. And if you mm-hmm. have a marginalized creator who is a, a writer or an artist, and they see something like 
uh, you know, and maybe they love comics and, and all they want to do with their lives is make comics and they see how unwelcoming the, the comic industry is to somebody like them. Yeah, of course they're going to, like, take their talents and go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely, definitely. I, I think the the comic industry has some uh, has some work to do on the industry side to, uh, to 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 correct some of the mistakes of the past and to encourage marginalized people who are out there who have the talent to encourage them and let them know that. If they if they spend their time and the talent and energies in comics, it won't be a waste. They won't get to the front door and be turned away just because of who they are. That they will they will get to the front door and they will be welcome. They will be given opportunities to tell stories. So to that end, I think you have to do more to encourage those creators than you would just by. Uh, uh, just uh, you, you need to do more that are in ways specific to marginalized creators, and not just do things that you would just do for anyone or in the normal course of your day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I do know that the uh, DC Comics Talent Program, uh, they the past two classes have been pretty diverse. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I I think that I don't know what has gone into those decisions, but the results have come out have been pretty diverse. I think that is a good example. Of mm-hmm. how you can specifically be welcome to marginalized creators, but beyond that, there's still a lot of work to do. So I think it comes down to, um, yeah, if if you want diversity behind the page, yeah, you are gonna have to. It goes back to what you say before. You are gonna have to put in the work and not just open the doors. It's true, and especially um, we've seen like a rise of, of um, uh, more um, uh, people of color um, uh, writing, like Tanahasi Coates, Gabby Rivera, Roxanne Gay when she was doing World of Wakanda. But on the flip yeah. side, stuff like Marvel did, they did cancel Black Panther and crew before the second issue yeah, even right, dropped. Exactly. And they ended uh, World of Wakanda. So it seems that they want to, but at the same time, there's maybe Self- don't know how yeah <laughs> not don't know how and self-sabotaging themselves as well because that what you just told me about the dc uh dc what is it a writing class class mm-hmm. the yeah the writer's program i'm not i forget the actual proper name but yeah uh-huh like that 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 in itself is pretty cool i didn't even know that existed yeah. mm-hmm. um but this was and this is something that i've seen online as well is that when they try most industry groups like dc or marvel try to create more well, create works um, uh, with people of color behind them, they choose already prominent names, like Tony mm-hmm. Hansen Coates, who's well-known in the academic world. Yes. And mm-hmm. But they don't go out for actual, like, Unknown. unknowns. Yeah. And that yeah. seems to be, like, one of the uh, big factors into how they don't keep adding to the pool. They just choose the best of the best and say, oh, call it well and done. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, like, there's no shortage. You know, it frustrates me, and I, I hear this less and less, but it frustrates me when mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> publishers or editors or, or whoever really is like, oh, we would love to hire a marginalized creator, but where are they? It's mm-hmm. like, <laughs> what do you mean, where are they? And like, there's so many of us, so many of us, they're doing the work. Like, they're doing web comics. They're absolutely, doing, yeah. you know, they're doing uh, all sorts of stuff. Just because they're not doing something that falls within sort of like 
a prescribed range of what you're still looking at for mm -hmm. up-and-coming creators uh, doesn't mean they're not out there doing the work. So uh, uh, again, like it, it, it's going to involve mm -hmm. taking some extra steps, doing some some specific work to get out there and get those creators. Absolutely, yeah. and, and, and and also like let's just not lose another generation of like talented to creators to other industries because. They will get paid elsewhere, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, someone wants to hear those stories. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And I, I think it's uh, it's interesting, too, a lot of the uh, things that you talked about with uh, widening the marginalized groups uh, as, the in, as the creator of a comic book can also, there are also parallels in um, just creating access in comic book shops. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, my own negative experiences of just being a woman walking into comic book shops has really guided me as a comic store owner in how mm -hmm. I uh, how I not only treat people coming into the door, but also just make the shop um, look appealing and inviting to all types of uh, people and I really um, I really hope to see and wish to see a lot more of that uh, in other uh, comic book shops uh, as well because I still hear you know people saying I, I I didn't go into a comic book shop because it just felt so um, uncomfortable for me so yeah. I, 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 mm -hmm. I I really hope to see more of, of that kind of stuff going on um, not only within the industry as creators but also in, in the retail side of it too. Definitely. Absolutely, 100%. So, this is still Jen, and you would touch upon, like, self-published um, uh, self works and web <laughs> and um, uh, web artists. So, you yourself originally started with Our Love is Real, and yeah. we've ordered some <laughs> for the store. <laughs> oh, my gosh. When I was, when I started uh, kind of, you know, doing my my uh, research on my my Sam Humphreys interview, and I'm reading about your self-published work, and then I'm reading, oh, our love is real, and then I start reading <laughs> the summary. I'm like, I I literally was like, holy fuck, who? Why have I never heard of this before, and why am I not reading it right now? Oh my so god, we're very excited to <laughs> to pick that up. <laughs> And um, so, and uh, shortly after that, you were picked up by Image, and uh, it was recreated, uh, well, republished. Um, uh, That's correct. Much. Yes. Mm -hmm. that, now mm -hmm. that is very cool. And we have a question from a listener who wants to know yeah. how long did it take from being a self-published comic creator to working for a major company, and do you have any uh, advice on how to facilitate that move? Yeah, I mean, God, I can only, <laughs> you know. It's tough because I did Our Love is Real, and I think I did Our Love is Real in June of 2011. I might be off by That's what my sources say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that was a on the line here, yeah. Uh, 2011, June of 2011, and then I think my first Marvel comic came out in like January of 2012, maybe March of 2012. I believe it was it. I was writing um, it by December. Uncanny Wait, X Force or something? Or Uncanny X? Uh, no, uh, John Carter, Gods of Marvel. Oh, Mark, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but 
that that is a really like on the face of it is like a really deceptive timeline because before I self published Our Love Is Real, like I was doing the work behind the scenes uh, when I was just you know when I was a nobody essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're somebody to somebody, of course. Yeah. <laughs> like, as, as far as like the industry was concerned, I was just a nobody. I had done um, like all sorts of pitching, I'd done all sorts of networking, I had like at least 10 or 12 pitches out there that had had gotten turned down, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, they just kind of like go on the merry-go-round from publisher to publisher, so each one got turned down like more than once, um, <laughs> or you know, even more frustrating is sometimes you like, you just don't get a response sometimes. Um, and that's just because people are busy, you know, they got other stuff You just to do. described that's internet dating. Okay. <laughs> 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 oh but, uh, you know, my, my point is that, is that by the time Arnold was real hit, I had done a lot of legwork to art to, like, set the stage oh. for myself, I guess mm-hmm. you'd say, you know? So by the time... All of his reel came out. I was known to some editors. Mm. I had uh, I had some relationships with editors. I ha- I did have two short stories published. Um, one was a Fraggle Rock short story. Oh yeah. Yeah, from Fraggle Rock to Our Love Is Real, right? I did Fraggle Rock, and I did a short story. Uh, Boom Studios did. Uh, a CBGB anthology about oh, the New cool. York Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a lot of fun. And in the issue I was in, uh, Jaime Hernandez did the cover. Oh, nice. Yes. And he's my absolute favorite, so that was huge. But mm-hmm. to the industry, I was, I was basically nobody. And I just knew that um, by the way of the display comic production cycles would run, that I was about to have like a dead year in the first year of my career and mm-hmm. that, I, that I probably wouldn't be able to recover from that like I, I, what little momentum I would have had would have, would have died and I probably would have had a gone back to having a full time job by that point anyway and mm-hmm. it, it was like kind of like this is it like I there will be no other chances and if my my comic book career is going to go down in flames I'm going to make the biggest fireball possible <laughs> <laughs> so here comes a story about a cop and his dog and uh, uh, you know basically at the beginning of the year I was like I'm just going to I'm going to self-publish my books this year mm-hmm. like if nobody else I'm not going to wait for anybody else's permission I'm going to self-publish my books yeah. if I have to um, because when I was Sort of after I transitioned like out of superheroes and I was in like high school and college, this was like the 90s. There was like <laughs> a very strong tradition of self-publishing, and some of my favorite creators back then were self-publishing. Like David Lapham was doing Straight Bullets and Death. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and like, it, it's funny because you say self-publishing in any other industry. Mm-hmm. And people are like, "Oh, you mean like Vanity Press? Like nobody else would get you? You know what I mean?" Like, oh yeah. <laughs> but in comics, it's like a real like iconoclastic thing to do. Like if you self-publish, mm-hmm. like you're taking the bull by the horns, you're taking control of your own destiny. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're cutting out the middleman, blah blah blah, and sort of that that whole vibe came from uh, well, 
came from their progenitors as well, but was definitely alive in the 90s, and that really, like, had an effect on me, so... Um, and, and Love and Rockets was initially self-published. Right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. um, so I was like, I, I, if nothing happens this year, 20 years from now, 40 years from now, I just want to be able to look back and say I did everything. Yeah. Like, I left it all on the table. I don't <laughs> want to go back and be like, man, I, if I had the, had the guts to self-publish, then maybe something would have happened. Or if I had... Heated the words of, of, of my my ancestors, <laughs> then maybe someone happened, you know. So I went through all my pitches and I threw them all away, except for two that I felt were like so distinctive that if I didn't make them, then nobody would ever make them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like some bo- some books you see them, it's kind of just like like spinning the wheel of concepts, and it's like. Uh, die Hard at SeaWorld. Or <laughs> <laughs> they just take the nearest I mean, two God ideas bl- and fuse them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, God bless those books, but like somebody's eventually going to come up with those if you don't, if you don't do it. So mm-hmm. Our Love is Real and Sacrifice were the two books I decided to publish. Um, and, you know, I, I do want to say that it wasn't even like a political thing or a fuck you thing because while... Steven Sanders was drawing All of His Real and Dalton Rose was drawing Sacrifice. Like, I was still pitching them to publish it. But mm-hmm. the tone was different, you know? Because it was, it went from being like, please let me do this to mm-hmm. I'm doing this no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This train is leaving the station no matter what. If you want to <laughs> be on board, awesome. We can have you. <laughs> but I'm doing this. I'm doing this anyway. Yeah. Um, so I published Our Love is Real and, uh, uh, because of its uh, very interesting concept, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it really did. I, you know, we were talking about distribution earlier, and I, I not only did I self-publish it, but I self-distributed it. Oh, um, nice. yeah. So I was able to do uh, Beyonce drop before Beyonce did it. <laughs> uh, I'm sure she. I'm sure she took the inspiration from Ronald of Israel. Okay. But, uh, so I, I didn't, I, I didn't tell anyone, I like, anything was happening until, like, three days before it came out, um, and I had only published 300 copies because that's all I could do, and it was only in eight stores, and it was on Comixology, and that was about it. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, even before, the day before it actually came out, the day before it actually was released, people were selling it on eBay for $150. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Talk yeah. about I making mean, it big. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, did you see that money? No. No. <laughs> it was it was total speculator, you know, right, people yeah. thinking like, oh, there's only 300 copies and calling up retailers and being like, oh, I want five. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It was just like, just spec- but it was still like, it became like a big deal out of nowhere. And uh, I had sent copies to the others that I knew. Um, and, you know, I, the, the day it came out, it was immediately sold out. We went back to the second printing. Um, and Eric from, from Image reached out and was basically like, congratulations, like, you did it. Like, wow. you know, I talked to him about our, our Love is Real, and he just, like, wasn't quite sure. And he was like, you, you did what you said you were going to do. Like, good work. And mm-hmm. he was like, you, 
it, it sounds like you have a huge demand. Like, how can we help you? And I was like, thank God. <laughs> God bless Image. I wouldn't see half the stories I'm reading if it wasn't for them. <laughs> so yeah, true. exactly. So, uh, so they they uh, reprinted it and did it through Diamond, so any store could have it, which is great. Because you know the access was out there. Um, and the same thing happened with Sacrifice, where <coughs> we did Sacrifice, and we kept I kept selling out. I self distributed that too, only that was in more like 80 stores, which was, or 60 stores, and that was a lot of time at the post office. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, uh, Dark Horse picked, did the same thing, did a similar thing where they're like, congratulations, like you did it, the book is great, you know, what can we do to help? Do you, would, would you like us to do a hardcover? So Dark Horse now has uh, all sacrifice published in this. A beautiful hardcover edition. Yes, I saw that hardcover. It's very lovely. Uh, I've ordered some for the store. <laughs> so that's another one that I can't wait to read. But it looks it looks very beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, Dark Horse, they just do amazing work. Uh, so yeah, they, they do. But then they ask, it was, it was a no-brainer for us. Also, I was sick of being at the post office. <laughs> well, Jen and I are super excited to get our hands on our very own copies of Our Love is Real. Mm-hmm. You cannot imagine how <laughs> oh my God. When it comes oh my in, God. reviews will be posted. <laughs> you, I, I cannot wait. <laughs> you got to tell me. Well, I'm, I'm really excited that you said that, like, you got some of uh, your inspiration from Love and Rockets and how they self-published. So that was so cool, like, keeping it real, you know. Mm-hmm. That, that's oh really awesome. Uh, Love and Rockets is by far my favorite, favorite comic of all time. Uh, Maggie yeah. the Mechanic is the very first comic the Commodity Comics reviewed on our very first episode. I yeah. love it. You yeah. got to kick it off in a, in a big way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're leaving it all on the table. Exactly. That's how you got to Oh, so, I'm sorry. Let's touch the listener. I mean, like, I think what you got to do is, you know, a lot of people think that they uh, are going to pitch directly to Marvel and DC and get hired by Marvel and DC. And it, with, it, with the exception of, like, the DC Writers Program or something specific like that, what you got to do is you got to get your own work out there, whether it's self-publishing or it's webcomics or you work for a smaller publisher or whatever. Um, just, just know that you know Marvel and DC are like major league baseball, and you got to put in your time in the farm. In the farm stuff. Yep. There's no, <laughs> there's, there's, there's no better way to, to prove to big company that you can do the job than to actually do the job and hand them a comic. You right. know, like mm-hmm. yeah, it, that it's like it's like proof, like the, the, the proof is in your hands. Like you can see the work that I do, and then frankly, that's that's how they saw our love is real sacrifice. They're like, oh, you can do this. All right. Well, let's give you a shot. Nice. Well, I'll have to tell you that my husband will be very sad that you didn't have a magic formula for him to follow. <laughs> <laughs> this was his question. Uh, he, but he actually, I mean, he's doing what you're saying. He has a, a webcomic and he has self-published uh, mm-hmm. some books. Uh, and he actually told me to tell you that he um, would like to send you copies of Collectors. Um, Collectors is a, a kind of loosely based on our, our marriage. It's all about Eddie, who is a comic book collector who who loves his uh, wife and his comic book collection, but not always necessarily in that order. And <laughs> he said he'd love to send them to you as a um, as a wedding gift, and he thinks that your wife uh, will definitely appreciate the humor. Oh, my God. She totally will. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that is, that is that is very sweet of him. Tell him I said thank you, and yes, I, I would I would love 
to to have them. That'd be fantastic. Absolutely, mm-hmm. that is so cool. You know, um, you know, you were talking about image and about um, your comics and self-publishing. When was the moment that you actually realized um, I've made it? That one singular moment when you look back and you're like, I I made it. God, that's a it's a tough one because I'm. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm naturally suspicious, but I just uh, know that a lot of things can happen. So, like, the joke I always tell is, like, I don't believe that uh, a comic is going to happen, like, a new comic is going to happen until I'm holding it in my hands. Mm-hmm. And, and even then, sometimes I'm not sure it's real. Like, even then, I'm not sure. Just so, uh, like, I'm sorry to cut you off, but just so you know, that's how we felt about this interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like it, we, it's not real until it's happening. So it's happening. As I told them, like I, if I suddenly choke up, it's because I finally realized that this is happening. <laughs> and I was like a week ago. I'm like I'm already sweating. Uh, you thought I wasn't gonna come through. No, no, I just I just get nervous. <laughs> this is Sarah. This is normal me. I just start sweating. <laughs> So uh, I, I I think it was, I mean, it, it's just a very slow realization, and, and I mean, like, a lot of days I'm just, like, I'm frustrated, and I, I can't figure out how to, like, finish the script or whatever, and I, I don't feel like I've made it, you know, I still feel like I'm struggling, but uh, I, one really cool moment that happened was um, early on, and I, I certainly didn't feel like I had made it yet, but it was a, a huge moment was... Um, I was talking about how I sent uh, Our Love is Real to some editors I knew, uh, and one of those editors was uh, Stephen Lacker at Marvel, who used to be Marvel Publishing, and now he works at Marvel West Coast. Um, And he and I had talked a bunch, and he let me pitch a couple times, and I really went through, and I sent him Our Love is Real, and he, he sent me an email and said, I just read Our Love is Real. Congratulations. You did it. Send me your phone number. So I was like, oh, thanks for reading. You know, here's my phone number. And 20 minutes later, the phone rang, and it was Axel Alonso, the editor-in-chief oh, of Marvel Comics. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, hey, uh, I just read Our Love is Real. Uh, I, I thought it was great, one of my favorite comics of the year, and I just wanted to call call you up and ask and see if you uh, want to get in the mix here at Marvel. Nice. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> and I and I said before before I answer, I just have to confirm: Did you actually read our love? <laughs> <laughs> do you know? Do you, do you know what you're getting into? He <laughs> said yes, yes, and we we it was just like uh, you know, I was just on cloud nine. I was talking to to Axel. And we were talking about like next steps for me to get into Marvel and. We chit chat a little bit, and uh, he, he said we'll talk soon. Goodbye. And uh, the the coolest part of that was that my little sister happened to be visiting me from Minnesota, Aww. and was like right there, like in the apartment with me that day. And so it was like just it was it was an amazing moment. It was an amazing moment to share with my little Aww. sister. You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, just like she could like see me on the phone and like. I got off the phone and we were doing like we we're like running around the apartment. <laughs> so 
That that was like, I mean, even just a phone call enough would be alone, but having my sister there was was awesome. So that was that was a really cool moment for me. That's so cool. That's a very tender moment. I thought maybe you guys were holding each other sobbing. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I would do. (laughs) So this is Jen again, and you've been fortunate to work with many different publishers throughout your career. Uh, Working with DC, Marvel, Image, and Boom, what are the differences, if any, you find between them from a creator standpoint, and uh, who do you prefer? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, I was going to ask the same thing. I'm sorry, say that again? (laughs) I said, um, um, who do you prefer working with better, DC, Marvel, Image, or Boom? Yeah. Who, Who do I prefer? Well, prefer, and also, like, what are the differences working between the different um, uh, publishers, and uh, what if there's, like, a major one? Like, uh, I know uh, from a lot of the history of comics uh, that DC and Marvel sometimes work the same, but sometimes they work radically different. Yeah, y'all are trying to get me in trouble. Like. <laughs> Asking the real questions. Yeah, yeah. You, you can, you can, you can, you can plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> uh, that's a good question because there, there are definitely some differences. You know, uh, I would say, say that Marvel and DC definitely have their differences from each other, but they're a lot more similar to each other than they are to a boom or an image. Um, especially if this made just for the purpose of conversation. You know, Boom does a lot of, they do some work for higher stuff, whether it's like mm-hmm. Adventure Time or Planet of the Apes, but I've only done creator-owned with them, or mostly done creator-owned with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> it's almost a question of what's, what's the difference between work for hire, which is when you're just a, a freelancer working on something like Batman or Conan or Adventure Time, you know, property somebody else owns, mm-hmm. um, the difference between that and doing creator own, which is where you create or co-create a brand new creation that you control and you own. And examples of that would be Hellboy, Walking Dead, or uh, or Jonesy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, they they really are fundamentally different business models. And even if you like put the comics side by side, especially to a layperson, like they wouldn't be able to tell you the difference. The, the behind the scenes, there there are a lot of differences about how you would approach them, what their working relationships are like, uh, what level of, um, I, I don't know about um, creative freedom necessarily. A lot of people say like there's a lot more creative freedom in um, creator own comics, and I take that point, and there certainly is. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've found that there's just as much creative frustration in creator own as there is work for hire. Mm-hmm. It's a different yeah. sort, you know? Mm-hmm. You still struggle with a lot of the same things as you would in work for hire, you know? staying true to your characters and and, and and what feels like an authentic truth and, and what's exciting and uh, and also shit I only got 20 pages to tell the story and I need <laughs> to do it like how, how am I going to do it yeah um, but you know it's a it's, I, I would say that um, work for hire create your own can sometimes feel more like uh, an entrepreneurial situation or, or an entrepreneurial because um, and the situations can differ, but you and your co-creators can really can really run the show. Um, mm-hmm. And especially, you know, like Jonesy, the Jonesy, 
uh, my co-creator is Caitlin Rose Boyle, who is uh, amazing. She's a fantastic artist and <laughs> oh, a yes, wonderful yes. co-creator. We love her. Her artwork <laughs> is yes. so cute. She's, uh, she's moving to Los Angeles. Oh, oh nice. nice. Yes. I'm so <laughs> excited. She came out to visit like a couple, like maybe a month or two ago and did a lot of like interviews and like hanging out and stuff. And mm-hmm. she's moving out next month, so... I could not be. I'm very excited. Very excited. Ooh, to be here with you us. inadvertently yeah. gave us some cheese mix. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> let me let me tell you, soy un chismoso. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got to tell you guys when you sent me the list of questions, it included. Uh, uh, Chisma de la, uh, Chisme de la Semana. I got excited because Chisme is one word I definitely know. <laughs> <laughs> because my wife works with so many Spanish people uh-huh. that we just, like uh, a lot of Spanish slang is just like just like flowed into yeah. our yeah. <laughs> So like Chisme is a word that we use around here. creating a character and that was one of my questions was like what's the relationship like between a writer and an artist and how to project that um, idea um, into the paneling and how hard is it to work uh, alongside somebody else I mean I know you touched on it by uh, being the co-creator with uh, for Jonesy um, and, mm-hmm. and another thing was uh, that you know I want to know is that uh, who do you long to work with as an artist I guess it's many questions in one. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, uh, boy. Um, some of my like favorite artists who I don't know. Some of my favorite artists like I wouldn't really want to work with them because I'm just like white. Like they don't need me. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, if I had an opportunity to work with Jaime Hernandez one day, like oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that but, that like, but, like, dream but, like, tingle. Step down for Jaime, like. <laughs> <laughs> or um, yeah, you know, P. Craig, P. Craig Russell is a fantastic mm, artist yeah. who uh, used to do a lot of Marvel and DC stuff, and now he 
He did one of my favorite comics of all time. The, he adapted the um, the opera The Ring of the Nibelung, um, mm-hmm. which is in a hardcover by Dark Horse, which is an amazing book. I, I'd love to work with oh, him one day because he doesn't. He he's a writer, but I I feel like there could be like I could I could, I could bring some to the table with that one. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of the relationship with writer and artist, I mean, there's a whole <clears throat> there's a whole spectrum to that. You know, there's some writer artist relationships I've I've had with like um, with like Mike Domundo on Weird World. Oh my oh god! Oh my god! We love Weird I World. love yes, yes, I do. And that mm-hmm. his art on that book and just oh the story. God. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. I felt that was one of the the first really uh, stories that I fell in love with when I first started working at Heidi Ho and we first bought the shop. Oh, amazing! Yes, mm-hmm. it was. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, and you don't see Morgana Morgana Le Fay used a lot in comic books right now, and so I really, she's and she's like one of my low-key faves, so oh I was yeah. glad that <laughs> she was brought back, even if it was just for like a, a short time, but I love Morgana. Let's let's make that low key fave a high key fave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just I love all the magic users in uh, in the Marvel universe. They're so cool. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I love that book. Mike and I love that book. It is like mm-hmm. a real cool favorite. Where it didn't even make it to issue seven, but uh, we people I feel like people tweet us about it like almost every day. Like they. Somebody like is finding it for the first time, and they're like, they'll they'll reach like a certain page or panel, and they'll be like, I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, they're like, I'm crying right now. I never, I never, I just see this coming. Like, <laughs> and a lot of that book, like a lot of what's amazing about that book, and a lot of like what I love about that book, came from the the collaboration that Mike and I had because. He and I just, like, got along. Like, I try, it's not always possible, but I try and talk on the phone with any artist that we're working with on a regular basis and just be like, what's up? What are you reading? Like, what do you like to draw? Like, Mm -hmm. what's going on? You know, and he and I, like, really, like, we just, like, were BFFs, like, right off the bat. Just started talking about all this stuff. And um, one of my favorite parts of the book was a scene where the two main characters um, were fighting, they're arguing, uh-huh. and in the script, or in the outline maybe, I just said, oh, and then these two pages, they're just going to, like, talk it out and <coughs> and uh, make up, and they'll be, like, friends again by the end. Uh-huh. And Mike called me up, and he was like, yo, so for those, like, two pages, do you, what do you think about, instead of them talking, what do you think about them having, like, a dance battle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That is... Yeah. And I was like, a what, dude? <laughs> He's like, like, a B-girl face-off. And I was like, what? I was like, like, I don't know how this is going to work, Mike, but you, like, you're feeling it so much, like, I, I, I believe you can do this. So, for those, for those two pages of the script, like, I basically said nothing but, like, Mike, you know what you're doing here. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and those those are the, those are some of those pages that people come back to us with all the time. They're like, yo, I can't believe you did this. <laughs> what, was so, what was so cool about this, about it, is that Mike, the Mundo, here's some more cheese knife for you. <laughs> he 
He was a b-boy back in the day. In oh! Yeah! <laughs> he, used to do, he used to do, like, b-boy battles and shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've seen the YouTube videos. It's crazy. That's the YouTube videos? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, like, maybe, I, I'm not going to tell you what to look for. <laughs> oh, I'm going to look all over YouTube. I, I'm going to find those videos now. <laughs> yeah, and so like, it, I mean, it was just one of those things because Mike and I had, had always talked a lot about like our love for hip hop and stuff, and I knew it went mm-hmm. deep. And so like, when he came up with a crazy idea, I was like, "You got it, like, <laughs> like go for it." And it was just, you know, Mike. For Mike, it was really meaningful because it was like his little tribute. You know, it's like bridging his two worlds together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know when you can like when you're creators and you can do that kind of stuff like almost always like almost always 10 times better than whatever dumb scene i had in mind you know like <laughs> when, when you can do something that's meaningful to you like you really put everything into it and it comes through on the page that's awesome yeah. that is really cool that is super awesome so this is jen again uh, as, a tradition for <laughs> <laughs> as a tradition for the Comadres y Comics podcast, you must share your chisme de la semana. Uh, what industry news has excited or bummed you this week? Or it doesn't even have to be about the industry. Just give us some good dirt. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've already given you two pieces. You sure have. Yeah, yeah you well, sure. Well, 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 well. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, I'm not going to spoil the chisme because if somebody listening hasn't seen it, like, I don't want to. I, I want to be a chismoso, but I won't be a spoiler either. <laughs> so, uh, what I am really, really excited for this week is metal. Oh, okay. That's right. Yes. You're doing um, a Red Death, right? I'm doing, I'm doing the Dawnbreaker. The Dawnbreaker. Dawnbreaker one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But um, I was part of, there was a, uh, we had a story conference here in Burbank. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about like metal, and we talked about all of metal. We talked about like the forge and the casting, and all six issues and the times and everything. Like it was th- for three days. Like me and Scott Snyder and Jeff Williamson and James Tynan, and some of the editors. And like, let me tell you, metal is going to be so badass. <laughs> so, awesome. so many it, customers it really are waiting for that mm-hmm. with bated breath. Oh good, <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah, and. There's there's some there's some cheese man metal that came out just this morning. Um, some really cool stuff. I'm not gonna spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but you can go look for it if you want to see it, um, or you can see it at the end of issue one. But uh, it's just like <laughs> the, the stuff that came out today is like so indicative of like how cool metal is and how fun it is. Yeah. Like, it is a big event, and there's, like, crazy shit going on all the time, and it's just, like, <laughs> in your face, melt your face off. <laughs> stuff. It's the Justice League versus the Dark Multiverse is, like, Ooh. so cool and so much fun, and Scott's just, I mean, he, mm-hmm. he knows he knows what the fuck he's doing. Like, he's got this. <laughs> he's, got, he's got an amazing story. I've, I've heard it all, and it's awesome. Like, the first time <clears throat> I heard the end, like, I just remember, like, I was just so blown away. There's so mm-hmm. many fun, cool elements to it, and Greg Apulo is the motherfucking man. <laughs> he, he is the man, the only man who can draw metal, and he is drawing the hell out of it. I mean, that, that's a great example of how um, lighter artist collaboration can really result in some amazing shit, because uh, mm-hmm. I, 
you know, I don't know that without Greg that Scott would have written metal. Like, it, 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 it's almost like a love letter to Greg. It's like, <laughs> here's all this shit. I mean, they've had a long collaboration on Batman. But right, it's like, uh-huh. it's like, it's like, here's... Here, here's all the shit I really want to see Greg do, and, and here's all the shit that Greg's always talked about wanting to do. Yeah. Um, and if you can lean into a, an, an artist of that caliber with that kind of stuff, like, it's going to be sweet magic, baby. It's sweet magic. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. That does. That sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Great. So, wait, what's your... I want to hear y'all's cheese, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll start off. Uh, my cheese, is that... Uh, Brian Fuller has said that um, uh, Hannibal season four is it, well. They're in talks to make it like the Ooh, yeah. Okay. And yeah. I I love Hannibal so much, and I'm so glad that they're gonna do a season four because season three was not enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm drawing a blank, guys. On my <laughs> I am not prepared. <laughs> What about you, Kristen? Well, my achievement was uh, not anything uh, too chismosa at all. It was just kind of going to be uh, uh, talking about how Heidi Ho is doing their... Um, we actually have a weekly trade paperback discussion group, and this week we are doing March, which was a book that I chose weeks ago, um, but unfortunately turned out to be very timely this week. Uh, so mm-hmm. that was going to be my achievement that uh, we're having a discussion group on March um, this Wednesday at uh, 6.30 at Heidi Ho Comics. And coming, oh, back yeah. to, coming back to me, Sarah, this might be cheese to you because you don't know this. Um, this okay. is a repetitive cheese here. Uh, here the Comadres y Comics are going to be at uh, Latino Expo in Long Beach in November. So soon gone cool. by, say hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have a concha with us. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Um, it's in November, I believe, uh, the 20th... 11th and 12th. 11th and 12th. Awesome. Um, yes. And uh, just uh, in case you don't know, uh, conchas are how we rate our um, and review our books that we talk about here on the uh, Comodosy Comics podcast. And conchas uh-huh. are actually the... Um, concha is translated into sh- uh, the word shell in English, and it's the Mexican sweetbread that looks like a little seashell. Oh, I know what that is. Okay, yeah. yeah. So that's called a concha. And so when we talked about how we wanted to review our books uh, here on the podcast, we all kind of talked about how conchas were like a big treat for us when we were kids. Uh-huh. And yeah. uh, and that uh, Jen said that three was the most that her mother ever <laughs> let her eat. <laughs> so three is the top rating. But if it's a really awesome book, we do three conchas plus a cup of champurrado, which is like a Mexican hot chocolate drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how we rate our books. And just so you know, both Green Lanterns and Jonesy got three conchas and a cup of champurrado. Oh, yeah. I think we yeah. even maybe oh, we, yeah. we <laughs> gave it a rating of the whole panaderia. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I want that whole panaderia. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, guys. I, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you saying so. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, now, what's on your radar? Um, tell us about either a comic book, a show, or a book, or ex- anything that you've heard of or excited about, um, uh, or are currently enjoying, and that others should check out. Yeah, I gotta go with. Um, <clears throat> you guys ever heard of a TV show called The Nick? 
the mic. I've 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 seen it on my feed, but I haven't seen it yet. I've seen gifts yeah, of it on Tumblr. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a the the nick that it's called K N I C K, uh, and it's like it was it was shown uh, Cinemax with uh, Clive Owen on it, oh, and mm-hmm. it ran for two seasons. Um, it is like I I never thought that I would call this like one of my favorite shows, or I would love a show like this so much. It's a medical drama about a hospital in Manhattan in 1901. Oh, wow. wow. So it's like, what what is it, General Hospital set in... (laughs) (laughs) Set in turn of the century? (laughs) Like, like, like uh, the show could not have taken me by surprise more. I don't give a shit about any of the words I just said, basically. (laughs) But, uh, But it is a fantastic show. All the actors in it are amazing. Um, uh, and Steven Soderbergh directed all 20 episodes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and he's just, just the way it all looks and feels together is fantastic. Uh, Clive Owen has never been better in it. Uh, Andre Holland uh, is amazing in it. Um, and uh, I, I, I just love all of it. And the, one of the best things about it is that it was canceled after two seasons, so they can't ruin it with a, a shitty season later on. I, oh, that's too bad. They canceled it after two seasons? I think it was... Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, Cinemax says they, they want to refocus on their action-oriented shows, mm-hmm. which I think do better for them. Okay. Well, I definitely have to check it out because that premise that you described sounds really amazing. Yeah, I like really cool. Yeah. I like like period stuff, so that's gonna be super cool. I, um, I, I do have to warn you, it's like they show like all sorts of like wild ass surgeries that they did back in the day. So oh. If, if you don't like blood and guts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to be a doctor at one point, so I'm I'm, I'm okay, alright with it. This is Sarah, and I actually follow the pimple popper doctor on Instagram. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Gore is my jam. <laughs> Well, besides that, now this is solely just for me and just because I want to know. Uh, you're an anime manga fan, right? Oh hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> so what are what are you watching right now? Like oh, what, like what are you, what are you super into right now? Um, you know, I'll also like pivot on your question a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most exciting manga anime thing that I love right now is actually it's a manga or two mangas I should say mm-hmm. have you guys ever heard of Princess Jellyfish oh, oh my yeah. god yes <laughs> yes yes I love yes. Princess Jellyfish Jen shoves Princess Jellyfish down anybody's throat who will listen who wants it to the shop <laughs> oh, my god. oh my god so it was my favorite comic of last year I fucking love that book so much yes, it is volume 5 just yeah. came out Yes, I know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I have to, like, I have to like chase myself. Otherwise, I'll just, like, <laughs> like plow through it in one day. So yeah. I haven't, I haven't gotten into um, Volume 5 yet. But mm-hmm. um, the creator, Akiko Higa Shimura, mm-hmm. has another book called uh, Tokyo Tarariba Girl, mm-hmm. which oh. is uh, also amazing and awesome. It's, uh, it's 
I think it's only digital. It's digital only at this point. Okay. Mm. Um, through kind of Crunchyroll. Comicsology. Oh, Comicsology. I said through yeah, Crunchyroll or Comicsology. All right, cool. I don't know if it's on Crunchyroll or not. Mm. Um, <coughs> but it's on. It's definitely on Comicsology, uh, and it is also fantastic. It's about a, uh, a group of twenty-something friends in Tokyo mm-hmm. uh, who are. I mean, it sounds like just everything else you've ever seen. A mm. bunch of twenty-something girls like navigating work and relationships and stuff. But yeah. it's by Higa Shimura, so it's like it's just so good and so funny and so amazing. I definitely have to look into that. Um, have you read Girl from the Other Side? Girl from Another Time. The Girl from the Other Side. Girl from the Other Side. No, I don't think so. That one's really good. It's like a fantasy all ages manga that is about uh-huh. this girl who is like basically like she's like five or six and she's kicked out of the town because they think she has a curse on her. And then an actual cursed creature comes to her and he like oh. starts protecting her. And it is the cutest thing ever and I really love it. I think. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm like looking at that right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like manga. <laughs> Jen is our resident is manga expert. Yes. <laughs> I is am. it manga? Huh? It is manga. Okay. Yeah, cool. it's manga. Mm-hmm. So cool. Yeah, it's got like almost like a like a little bit of a death note feel to it, huh? Just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> well. Awesome. We are, are coming to the end of our interview. Again, thank you so much for uh, calling in and participating. We've had such a great time. But yeah. as is oh my also God, <laughs> as is also tradition on Comadres y Comics, we end um, each episode with our segment called Juntos y Fuertes, um, which yes. translates to Together and Strong. And that's the segment where um, we, as a group, really try to show love and support for members of marginalized groups within the comic community. So some of the um, um, things that we've kind of tried to bring to the forefront in the past on our show is um, we've discussed Sophie LaBelle, who's the creator of Assigned Mail, and some of the stuff that she um, mm-hmm. was dealing with and um, uh, had to go through a couple of, uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was. Um, we've talked to, we've uh, highlighted the Asian American Comic Convention that happened uh, in Los Angeles, which Sarah actually got to go to and meet George Sakai. I'm so really jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, and also, uh, Cena Grace, a uh, writer of Iceman, who, um, a little interesting uh, tidbit, used to be an employee of Heidi Ho Comics back in the day. That's what? Right. I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, uh-huh. So, is there a creator, comic, or event that maybe you would like to share during, during uh, this segment? Juntos y fuertes. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it was hard for me to narrow it down to just one, but I'm going to um, give a shout out to. <coughs> Kylie uh, Wu, I believe her last name is, uh, she does a comic called Trans Girl Next Door. Yeah. She's uh, an Asian-American trans woman who does just this, like, it's like a fantastic web comic about her life. Um, mm. And, of course, that incorporates, uh, sometimes it incorporates being a trans woman in the, in, in the realities of that, but sometimes it's just about, like, having crushes and hanging out with friends and, like, all sorts of stuff. She's uh, just... An amazing cartoonist. She her art style is so good and so expressive, and like <clears throat> in the tradition of comic books, but also comic strips. And like she's got like some like manga elements to it, but also some like 
crazy, like, um, you know, Spunko, like the Ren and Stimpy. Oh, oh nice. yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. Just like, she just got like such a talent for like expression and caricature and all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. um, she, like, the, the her comics are always so funny, and they're on her uh, website, which is Trans Girl Next Door, or you can they're on her Tumblr or Twitter. Uh, and she is a uh, Patreon, and uh, she did, she does great work. So that's, that's awesome. There's so many great web comics that are out there. Mm-hmm. I just I sometimes I just go overwhelmed with just how much good stuff there is. Oh yeah, yeah. People yeah. are so creative, and a lot of the work that comes out is um, personal things, like uh, where they're kind of sharing their experience in a kind of funny, comical way and through a web comic, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and. Uh, it's uh, I don't know. It just goes back to what we said earlier. Like the, there are people out there. There are uh, creators from marginalized groups out there. They're doing. They're not just out there doing the work, but they're doing fantastic, vital work. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, you're you're not just ignorant if you're not paying attention. You're actually depriving yourself of some pretty amazing comics work out there. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I look forward to checking it out. Yeah, me too. Yeah, same here. Cool. So, Mr. Humphreys, is there anything you're working on, anything you'd like the listeners to check out or, um, um, you know, or buy comicology-wise? Some signings? Just search Sam Humphreys and hit add all to cards. I'll <laughs> <laughs> do it. Or better yet, go to, go to Heidi Ho. Yes. <laughs> buy, buy two, two of everything. Uh, let me see the Green Lanterns. We're in like a really crazy uh, storyline right now. Green Lanterns, where Jessica and, Sa- uh, uh, Jessica and Simon are um, ten billion years in the past. The very first Green Lanterns, the seven original Green Lanterns wow. we've never met before. That's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Um, uh, really cool little thing I did. For DC is this month is Jack Kirby's 100th birthday, right. and um, you know I, I'm I'm not alone here. Jack mm-hmm. Kirby is one of my favorite creators of all time. Yeah, and they yeah. asked me to do uh, a short story for one of their their tribute one shots that they've done. So I did a short demon story with Steve Rude, yeah. uh, which is cool. I mean Steve Rude. Uh, a living legend, and just to do mm-hmm. six pages with him was <clears throat> such a such an honor. Um, and I believe that is in the Manhunter. It's the backup story for the Manhunter. Yeah, yeah, the Manhunter special. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And that comes out this month, I believe. Um, and then I am doing Dawnbreaker, which is a one-shot tie-in to Metal, mm-hmm. uh, which is about a. Um, I'm choosing words carefully here. I'm excited about this, but uh, the dark, you know, metal is about the dark multiverse invading, and uh, Dawnbreaker is one of the seven dark Batman who Ooh. come to invade. Ooh. And uh, I know it covers that, so I can say that this is like uh, a dark Batman version of Green Lantern. Oh, um, that's awesome! Yeah. Each, nice. each, each one ties into a different member of the Justice League. Like, there's another one. Josh Williamson is doing uh, Batman the Red Death, which is like a dark Batman version of the Flash. Oh. Um, yeah, and I say, and uh, I forget who's doing it, but I'm, we were talking about the, the titles in Burbank when we were on the story conference together. 
and uh, I remember they're talking about the cyborg one, Dark Batman Cyborg, and they're like, it's called the Murder Machine. Oh, the table. That is such a great title. Like I'm so jealous. So then I had to come up with Dawnbreaker and not bad. It sounds very cool. Uh, that comes out in October. All those one shots are looking great. Um, and then uh, Jonesy Volume Three trade paperback comes out in September. Yes, Keep I can't wait for that as well. <laughs> Well, I'm really I um we I just finished reading uh, Green Lantern's the uh, second uh, trade paperback volume two, and I'm really oh, yeah. uh, I really like I just wanted to say this to you I'm really loving um, the aspect of Jessica Cruz and and how she is relating with her anxiety and her being the Green Lantern I love it. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. I mean, I really I I love I, I, I thing I love hearing that doesn't quite hit the nail on the head, but it's, like, really special to me when people relate to anxiety because I have anxiety as well, and that's, mm-hmm. like, you know, at the very beginning, I kind of had to make a decision, like, was I going to start around this, or was I, like, really going to double down mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. put put everything, you know, all of my experiences and all my anxieties and all my, my actual fears and, like, actually put them on the page, and that can be, like, a very, you know, risky and vulnerable decision because it's people hate it, like, they don't know if they're saying, like, right, I yeah. hate your life, I hate your anxiety, I hate your struggle, but, like, that's that's how it's going to come back to you, mm-hmm. uh, so it's, like, it's, it's difficult to make those decisions, but I was, like, fuck it, like, if not now, when, so, like, I gotta do this now, mm-hmm. um, and the response has been so huge, and, you know, particularly from people like me who struggle with their own anxiety and stuff, so it's really special when people say that, and I don't know, I'm trying to look right now, but issue 15, which I do not believe is in the second trade, so it's coming up for you, but um, that is one of my favorite issues, and that deals directly with uh, Jessica's anxiety, so keep, keep an eye out for that one. Oh, definitely. Volume yeah. 3 should be coming out. September, too. Yeah, September yeah. as well. It should be soon. Mm-hmm. It's been a little while, yeah. <laughs> Well, again, Sam, thank you so much for, uh, we've been on our, our little journey from the little piñata that could to now having, yeah. you as, <laughs> having you as a guest on Commodity Comics and you having Jessica hanging there in your office looking over. She's right here with you. <laughs> yeah. We really well, appreciate it. Yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on the show. This was a blast. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I just want to say that I think it's really cool what you guys are doing. I'm glad you guys are doing the podcasts and the shows and your thing in November and working at the store and everything. I think what you guys do are doing is really vital and it's really important and the comics industry is lucky to have you. So I'm just happy to hang out with you guys and support with with what you all are doing. Oh, thank uh, you. Awesome. That means a lot. That it does. does mean a lot. Thank <laughs> you so much. Absolutely. Well, so thank you for letting me ruin your show. <laughs> 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 well, we hope we hope that we didn't uh, do anything too uh, completely awful that would prohibit you from ever coming back. In the the oh invitation God, is always I open. Love, I would love to come back. <laughs> Next time, though, I gotta come hang out with you. <laughs> and, and one of the things I do when I, um, I'm promoting the podcast to people, I always say to the guys, I always say we're an all-girl podcast, but we do review beer. So if you come down, 
you'll have a beer with us and we'll do the beer together. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you uh, so much. Thank, thank you guys again. Thank you for all your support. And of course, thank you for the Pinata. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. My pleasure. Uh, my pleasure making yeah, yeah. it. It's, it was so inspiring to make a piñata out of a, uh, a green lantern that's Latina. Yes, 100%. Thank you. I appreciate well, it. Well, you also keep up the good work. And, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. And this has been Commodity Comics. I'm Kristen. I'm Jen. And I'm Sarah. Bye.